Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome to Sank, Swim, or Fly. Welcome to Sink, Swim, or Fly, Tony Cunningham. Hey, what's up? So this is the first one. This is the first one I've done since all this Corona shit, um, and I'm excited to do it, man. We've been talking about doing one a while. We have been talking about doing one for a while, a couple weeks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then I, I was like, I can't do one. I got to hang out with my lady. <laughs> right. I mean, you got to take care of the ladies, dude. They're important. They need our time. She lives out northeast, so it's like when we hang out, it's like once every couple weeks. And she's like, I'm off. And I'm like, God, I'm supposed to do a podcast. Uh, I think Tony will understand. Right. I get it. Um, but we were just talking about this. What is, this isn't tea. No, this is a coffee. It's a Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee, which is really interesting because it's made out of a couple different kinds of mushrooms along with normal coffee. Uh, the main mushrooms that are used are chaga and reishi, which are both really good immune boosters and adaptogenic mushrooms, which means that they will adapt to what the body needs. You need something in your liver. You need more um good things down there it'll uh fill in in that spot how too. many like how much like does it see what did you put butter in this or coconut oil coconut oil i've never heard of anybody putting butter in coffee uh it's good dude it's like creamy it's just milk except it's i mean i've had coffee especially at Ember forge we're constantly like working down there we're constantly rotating different coffees and some of them are like naturally buttery mm-hmm. and i like that but i've never actually been like you know what i'm gonna put some butter in this shit oh it's good dude that's definitely this is good you got to have the oils in there. I mean, butter and uh, coconut oil are both like really good for you in their own ways. You know, you got to have those fats and those lipids. Keep your skin healthy. Keep your hair healthy. Keep everything going the way it's supposed to. So do you add it yourself or do you buy it? You buy it with the mushroom already in it. Yeah, it comes already blended up and mixed together through uh, Four Sigmatic. They sell it at Wegmans. It's mm. pretty good. My one roommate at the uh, the recovery house is um, he's a forger. So he, he'll find chaga and all sorts of stuff in the forest. And he seems to be pretty damn good at it because um, I know a lot of people that are into that. Where I grew up in Ohio, they were all about the morels. Morels? Mm-hmm. Morels, morels yeah. Like look, it's almost morel season right now, actually. They grow up. Do you in, know where to get them? I do. Oh, my God. It's I, top I, secret, though, dude. They're, they're very prized mushrooms, so you don't just tell everybody about your morel spots. But there's a couple good ones in Erie. You could tell me. They're, they're readily available. <laughs> if you just go out and look for them in certain areas, you will run into them around this time of year. Usually the ground has to reach about 40 to 50 degrees before they'll start to grow. So once it starts getting a little bit warmer, a little bit more consistently, they're going to start popping up. Does it happen after like the last frost? It happens whenever the ground reaches 40 to 50 degrees. So that could be, you know, it could come in a while after frost, but um, I've seen, the ground hasn't quite been consistently warm enough for them to start growing yet. I think I've seen people posting that they have found some. Probably. I don't know if it was like throwback pictures or what, but I swear I saw a couple that were like, oh my God, morels are out. They, but, we just, but it was just snowing like two days ago or right. yesterday. Right. I mean, it also could be from somewhere south of here that's a little bit warmer. You know, yeah. Pittsburgh area or anywhere south of here wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities for them to start growing. I already started looking for them a couple of weeks ago when we had that warm spurt but it was not quite warm enough yet for them to start dude i want to go with you definitely we can go i want to go but like i said my the guy i live with um he's always fishing and and he he seems to know his shit he makes his own bait mm-hmm. um but 
he'll come he'll come back and like I caught like twenty five fish. I'm like, yeah, right. And he'll take pictures, like huge steelhead, all this shit, and all these mushrooms. And he'll be in the woods for hours and hours a day. Um, which I, I've where I come from in Ohio, the morels are super popular. So I had some friends that would go and do that like every year. Yeah, and it was like to find any was like gold. Right, but if you could find like a giant trash bag full. That's well, a lot, dude. They're worth like 40 bucks a pound. Yeah. I'd see like Walmart bag fools. You know, like the, the plastic bags. That's a lot of morels for sure. But I, and they taste fucking great. They're absolutely great. And there's, there's so many other things in the forest too that you can just spend out there and forage. Like I just went to a class last night on herbalism that my friend uh, Ian is teaching. It's going to be every Friday at six o'clock. If anybody's interested, they could is it online? It. No, um, we went to Scott Park, so it was like in real life. We were out in the snow last night looking at these different kinds of plants that you can eat right in Scott Park. It, it was amazing. Like, honestly, 90% of Scott Park is all edible, like delicious, good-for-you food. Don't they have like, the BMX track there? They do have the BMX track. Yeah, but they track. have like the uh, in the, the mountain bike trails. Right. Yeah, I've been down there a few times. And they got the forest path, too, and it's right by the bay. There's also a lot of different areas for morels that pop up right along the main pass around there, so kind of gave away the secret spot but mm. yeah dude I'm all, I'm all about it i'd love to uh cook with them i remember buddies would have some and we'd just do them up in butter and shit and they were so good right i love mushrooms big fan there's chicken of the wood that grow out there too there's also uh it's another one i've heard that my roommate's always talking about yeah really easy to identify those and the morels are both really easy to identify because the morels have like the honeycomb top and the chicken of the wood are just big orange mushrooms usually growing out of like logs and uh other stuff that you'll find in the forest they're not really like one that grow on the ground they're they'll be growing out of like big fallen trees and they're yeah. bright orange so they're pretty easy to identify man there's I'm, also a lot of other plants too you know you got to just look for it and know what you're looking for and a lot of them have especially right now with this coronavirus stuff a lot of them have positive antiviral um attributes to them that'll kind of kick off this cytokine storm that uh, our body creates to fight viral infections and other bacterial infections. This, uh, the whole coronavirus thing is crazy to me because I like was gradually hearing a few things about China, but like not, you know, out of sight, out of mind, not right. thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, uh, where I was working right when all this hit, every, everybody or a couple of specific people started to get it really paranoid. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? You know, I don't, I'll, I'll go stroll through Facebook or uh, I have a couple people on YouTube that I kind of are like my news sources, like independent shows, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I did not see, it just was a blast. All of a sudden, like people freaking out and then it just elevated and elevated and they shut everything down. Um, it's kind of been surreal. Right. It doesn't, it didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal at first until people were starting to get really scared and really nervous. And I think a lot of people are still really scared and really nervous about it, which is okay. You know, this is a real thing and people are dying and people are getting infected. Um, but I think for the most part, people that are in good health are going to be okay as long as yeah. you're taking care of yourself and doing the right things, washing your hands, wearing, covering your mouth, all that stuff. Um, it was kind of the, when it got real for me is when, uh, me and my lady went out to, we hit up Wegmans and it was like not one pack of meat, period. The toilet paper, paper towels, you know, all that shit was gone. Then everything, it was, it was like, what the fuck is going on? But I guess everybody's just panic shopping. Right. I mean, we bought like $300 worth of food. I haven't had to go to the grocery store in like 
almost a month because we bought a ton of stuff because we weren't sure how bad it was going to get at first. You know, people were like, this could be the next pandemic. Like the thought definitely crossed my mind. Like the apocalypse is coming. You know what I mean? There's going to be like millions of people that die and all this crazy stuff's going to go on. It's going to go to like anarchy and everybody's going to be fending for themselves and all this other stuff. It was, it was definitely for me, it showed me that if shit really hit the fan, because like this virus, I agree with you. You got to be cautious um, it can be deadly. Um, it has had a crazy impact on the world. But still, it's not like... I mean, imagine if something was killing like 60% of people. Right. You go you, back. You, you, we would... This this panic, it just showed me... Like, it was an indicator of like what panic could really be like on a much bigger issue. Not you know, not to downplay what's going on now, but I mean, if something hit, which is very possible, that was killing even 20 30%, I think people would be in the fucking streets with pistols. Right. And looting and raping. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I swear to God, dude. I got that. I'm like, really? Like, that's where my mind went with this at first. <laughs> like, before I, I like, really educated myself and learned more about it and got some, some like, good information about it and what see what was really going on. Like, that was my first thought. Like, oh, shit. Here we go. It's about yeah. to hit the fan. I'm going to have to, like, defend my house and grow a garden and fucking be able to survive. And... And the conspiracy theories, man, and I've, I, you know, it's weird because I've always been, I've always dug conspiracy theories, I've always watched documentaries, I've read the books, I've, I've been like attracted to them, but ever since, and I hate to talk shit, but ever since like Republican, you know, like conspiracies started coming out. Like QAnon? Like all this stuff that's like, when they start talking about it on Fox News, I was just like, oh man, I don't I, I guess I'm just biased, but I, I some of this shit is fucking out, outlandish to me. Oh my gosh! And and is you know you got them from both sides actually, and nonstop, and it's just you can definitely see people's imaginations getting the best of them. Right. I mean, there's a lot of like I think every conspiracy theory is somehow a little bit factual. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of truth mixed in there somewhere, and sometimes it's it's just seeing how they spin that truth to fit their narrative. You know, and that's where you got to be careful. That's where you got to like look into things a little bit deeper and, you know, take everything with a bit of skepticism. Yeah, and I get it because when you've got government agencies or huge corporations like um, these medical corporations and all this stuff and they're giving news, I can understand people's thoughts to be like, you know, I don't trust. Well, you know, why am I going to trust this? What am I going to trust the CDC for? Right. Because if you don't trust, if you don't trust government, you don't trust media. Which I think a lot of people are going that way. You know, they definitely don't trust the Chinese government. Um, for sure. You know, we fucking hate communism <laughs> in this country. We. So, where do you draw the line of like, okay, I don't trust the CDC. I don't trust who. I don't trust any of these people. You know, there's some people that think the Earth's flat and we're living in a giant <laughs> dome, and every single person is in on it. Right. So that's the scale. But I can see where it's like, you know, why am I supposed to trust this guy? Right. You know, who's in his pockets? I think that a lot of times we got to look at things like I try to look at things with an optimistic outlook, you know, and try and see, imagine that everybody's a good person. But like when you face these huge like systems of control and suppression and all that stuff is when it really gets hard to like believe that narrative and believe what they're telling us because, you know, power breeds more power you know when you have a little bit of strength and control you want more and i think that's why a lot of people don't trust like the chinese government and stuff like that because it's a huge dictatorship trying to control every 
you know they can't even have regular internet yeah no they internet. have like filtered don't they have filtered internet filtered internet i just saw an article recently that they're not allowed that they're gamers and stuff like that that play like different games online with other people around the country they aren't allowed to communicate with them anymore i mean there's suicide nets around their factories and stuff so like something's yeah. going wrong there when you're forcing people into labor that's so awful that they want to throw themselves off from the top of a building to try and get away um fixing your mic tony oh thanks buddy i appreciate it Ugh. but with all that stuff i don't know it's all really interesting to me and i definitely read up on the conspiracy things and try to just like just so i'm aware you know knowledge is power and like i want to be informed about all the different things that people are talking about because i think that gives me a broader picture and can actually like discern (laughs) what's fact and what's real and what's not accurate and what's accurate it's even hard to tell though where um it it's hard to trust news outlets you know like i hear i've never been big in the new york times or washington post i've never been one to really be into the news read the newspaper all the time and i guess as i'm getting older these things uh, affect my life more so and i am interested in them um but you know you hear so many things like you can't trust the new york times you can't trust the washington right. post fox you can't- news cnbc msnbc it's all biased one way or the other you know there's not really a super fair one. I, I read a lot of Vice and watch their documentaries. I think they're pretty spot on for the most part. Miami Vice? No, like <laughs> <laughs> Vice Magazine. Um, I also have been reading like a lot of scholarly papers and stuff like that, like science experiments that uh, people have posted. I have a couple professor friends that post a lot of interesting research that's being done about this virus and stuff like that. And that's probably where I found the most accurate information is just by like actually going to the source instead of the news outlets and the other things that are like using these sources to propagate their you know yeah i think that's the key is is finding independent unbiased just scientist scientific research right like these people are just you know obviously there's scientists out there that aren't in big corporate money and all this shit and they're independently doing research um, and then sharing it, I see. It feels like that stuff doesn't get shared around as much. That's because it's hard to read, man. It's not like a pleasant, fun thing like these news articles that you find yeah. on Washington Post. You actually have to like think about it and read into it a little bit and try and get the actual message. Because there's a lot of like stuff that's not really relevant. I mean, it's relevant to the experiment and stuff like that because they got to prove they're using the scientific method and that everything is controlled and that they're actually testing for the things that they're it's probably kind of confusing. For. Absolutely, definitely kind of. <laughs> confusing to people that aren't like super familiar with it and uh you got but it takes a big you know it takes a big chunk of time to sit down and read that because a lot of those papers aren't like they aren't short you know what i mean they aren't a five minute puff piece that i can read while i'm scrolling on facebook there's something i have to sit down and actually think about and analyze and and go into the uh, some of this clickbait Bill Gates wants you dead. 5G, you know? Right, right. And World Health Organization says this, then says that, and contradicts each other, you know? All the media is just trying... They're trying to sell ad space, you know what I mean? They want people to click on that and read that, and that sensationalism sells, you know? You know, I was thinking, too... I was thinking this the other night, laying in bed. I'm not a huge... I'm not a huge Trump fan, you know, mm-hmm. from addiction, from my life. I, I think if there's certain things I've been good at, one of them is kind of like catching other people's vibes right. and kind of cutting through, you know, when you're dealing with people in the streets all the time, especially in addiction, uh, I feel like I got pretty good at at sensing somebody's bullshit, like right. see right through it. So when I hear some of the, 
I just always have got a vibe like that, dude. Like, I don't really trust what he's saying. I, 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 you know, I definitely sense like a giant ego, you know, all this shit. But at the same time, dude, you, when you're president now, like, especially with the internet, like you can't, it doesn't matter what, everybody's going to hate you all the time. Right. You know, and I, in some of, you know, the, some of the stuff they're blaming him for, you know, I obviously I don't know the, the depths of what he does or what the corruption that's going on, but it's just seemed to me that, you know, bashing, if any, I mean, imagine if Bernie got the presidency. Imagine the hate that he would right. get 24-7. He would probably be, you know, from the right, probably be one of the most hated presidents of all time. Absolutely. Um, just as much hated as, as Trump is, you know. Easily. Because, like, the outlandish right-wing shit he's doing, I feel like... To the right, Bernie would be doing that level of outlandish shit to them. Right. So it's just, I think we're in a time and age where like any, I, I wouldn't want that job. Like I wouldn't want to be him. And uh, I, 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 you know what I mean? I, I understand that. You're like, I, I, want to, I want I would definitely want to be president. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to be president. I think that'd be great. I Could like you being imagine? involved in politics, I think is really interesting in general. Like, yeah, you'd have to deal with a lot of stuff and no matter what you do, whether it's like completely 100% right, it's... Um, it's going to be viewed as wrong for some people. And I think the place that politics is really messed up is that people aren't like politicians aren't as much for the people anymore as they are for their own benefit and for the corporations and for the lobbyists and for everybody else. I think if like we found more benevolent people that were trying to get involved in politics and not out there to like make money or do whatever it is they're doing, trying to fulfill a certain like, benefit to themselves or to other people and really put the people first we'd be in a much different place and i think that's what i see in trump a lot is that like he's out for himself he wanted to do this because you know it fits his his ego you know what i mean he wants to be in charge he wants to be control and it looks to me like he's trying to show people how in control he is i've been watching a lot of the press briefings and stuff like that and he's always trying to say how amazing everything it just speaks to like how he wants to be like in his own narcissistic personality. And he's probably extremely sheltered by a lot of handlers and doesn't get to see a lot of things. Even before he was ever president, I'm sure there were a lot of people that like kept him away from, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that he had a lot of yes men and he's used to having lots of yes men because he's a big shot and a billionaire and supposed billionaire or whatever. And just has all these people that want to, you know, get on the Trump chain and tell him what he wants to hear and, you know, make the money for themselves rather than... I, I want to say, like, he's he's been living outside of reality, but he's been living in his... Re- that's his reality. Um, maybe he's living outside of, like, our reality. <laughs> that cat. That cat's right. Like, uh, we got a kitty in the in the house. And right. I, she's, she's trying to, around. trying to get that goldfish. But, yeah, I, I try to not to get too... People are so split anymore um, that I try to keep my political views to myself, kind of, which I guess is... You know, maybe you should that imposing filter because for some reason the, the world tells me, or you know, my mind tells me, don't tell people how you really feel because you'll get attacked. Right. And I don't want to be attacked. Is that does that mean that the brainwashing is working? Like keep my <laughs> my views to myself so I don't have to share and defend them. Yeah. Or like a or lot of times it, it's not even that I don't want to be attacked. It's just that I don't want to get into this argument because yeah. it's going to be. But you know, if so many people have that mindset, is that bad? I think that's definitely bad. I think that we've gotten away from like civil discourse and I like I like having those kinds of discussions with like my roommate is a libertarian, you know, mm-hmm. uh which is like the extreme form of republicanism 
being a Republican, you know, small government. And I'm kind of, I see a lot of value in a lot of those ideas and a lot of those beliefs. And like, I think that being a Republican at its core is not a bad thing. Like who doesn't want to pay less taxes? We've already talked about how much we distrust the government and don't think that they do a very good job of like taking care of the people or their goals. Why would I want to put them in front, in charge of my health care or in charge of any of those other things? You know what I mean? There's so many times where I feel like the government has failed us and to put more responsibility on them is really, you know, it doesn't make sense, but at the same time... I can also identify with that. I don't see, know? like, an alternative, you know what I mean? If Unless, like, there's a big cognitive or psychic change in people and people start being more uh, ph- philanthropic um, and start to get involved and give things away. Um, I've always had, like, a lot of different ideas about, like, opening up, like, a nonprofit bank. Obviously, I don't have, like, any sort of funds to do that now, but to, like, offer loans at, like really 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 low interest like just enough to keep the bank open and to keep the people paid instead of trying to manipulate everybody into these gigantic mortgages where they're going to be paying on them for the rest of their lives and stuff like that and the only way for somebody to really do that is for like somebody like bill gates or somebody with millions or billions of dollars to be able to start that up or for the government to step in and be like hey we're turning this post office into a bank and we're going to take over all the banking and offer super low interest rates on all these loans for your car, your house, your whatever. Um, I think I think that's why you know I my, I grew up in a Republican household, um, a bunch of too. Republican family. Um, and some of the things you just mentioned about your roommate, like I I totally can identify with some of those for sure. But I think I never was into politics really. I liked Bernie. Because he was, and I'm sad to see that he dropped out. I like Bernie because he was the first time I ever had heard a politician to where I wasn't like, I don't, you know, maybe a bit of a dreamer, mm-hmm. but is that necessarily bad? You know, um, I, I just, I felt like he really genuinely cared and it wasn't a hundred percent full of shit. Like pretty much everybody I've ever seen at the podium. And I thought a lot of the things he wanted to do would have just got he would he would have spent his entire presidency fighting just this. to accomplish one thing yeah so if he accomplished one thing that would be a miracle and it would be amazing and great and i agree dude i think he's for the people he's like one of the he to me he's a politician who actually has the people's best interest rather than um you know the corporations or the you know whatever is motivating a lot of politicians to do what they're doing whether it's to get more votes and to stay in power or to you know make themselves money or make their corporations money or make their supporters money or whatever the case may be. I think he like generally has like a philanthropic, like good heart that's trying to, you know, benefit people. And I think that to say that he would have accomplished all of the promises and all the things that he wanted to accomplish would have been unlikely. It was extremely unlikely. Like if he would have accomplished like one of those things, that would have been super incredible and really, I think put America on a positive track for more changes. Some of the, and what we were talking a minute ago about having these type of dis- types of discussions, I think, um, you know, I grew up and my, my mom and dad, or more so my mom, is super passionate about being a Republican. Like, she loved George Bush. She loved Reagan. Um, but I remember, I don't remember it ever being so cutthroat. Like, I don't ever remember her saying, fucking Clinton, I hope he fucking dies. Right. You know, I never remember hearing that. Um and and I think Facebook, social media, because you're behind a keyboard, you're behind a phone, your balls, I mean, you just have big balls. Exactly. You know, you, you, all of a sudden you're inflated um, and you're just this voice that pops up on a screen. And I think that takes like civil discourse completely out of the um, interaction. 
and we have such it's just the rage levels are so insane and and, and it's not worth arguing with people on Facebook about you know sitting right. like this uh, or at a part dinner whatever you're you're face to face with somebody you can actually have a conversation mm-hmm. but it's just it, the social media shit um it just takes a lot of that right the interaction out of it you know the one-on-one interaction out of it and you can't and there's no and my whole thing is like I don't want to talk about it on social media um I don't I'm not going to post you know <laughs> you know 911 was an inside job <laughs> right Right. Because you know what I mean, it's just like, or or, or uh, what I really think sometimes. But but I guess see, to maybe me that's I, kind of giving in. You know, I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to shy away from this. Like, yeah, I'm willing to have this discussion with you, even on social media. Like, yeah, it's not ideal, and people get passionate about things and get excited and volatile and all this other stuff. But there are definitely still people out there that I can have like good discussions about things on yeah. Facebook with, as long as they're willing to have them with me. Um, and you got to be able to see like when, when that point is passed and then stop engaging, you know, if somebody's going to be like, Oh, well, you're, you're a fucking idiot for thinking this and blah, blah, blah. And how are you going to pay for that? And everything else, you just got to disengage with that and find the people that are willing to have this discussion with you because we have to understand both sides of the table, both like sides have merit and have value. And I like, we got to have people willing to stand up for what they believe, right? you know, but there's time and time and place is a factor and it's. I agree with you, though. I think not saying what you believe in fear that people will attack you is definitely giving in. And right. It's letting uh, that brainwashing win. Right. And there's definitely like a group polarization effect on Facebook and on other media outlets where which is when like you're you get, in a bubble, you get like a small group of people together that are all like right leaning or whatever. And all of a sudden their beliefs become that much more extreme and that much more intense. And if you get like a few people in a like a Facebook post like that, ganging up on somebody else, like everybody's going to look like an asshole, you know, and everybody's beliefs are going to become a lot more extreme than they actually are. And, you know, people, people have like a big problem with emotional regulation, I think, especially when it comes to politics and things that they're passionate about, because those are important to them. And we live in like a fast paced life, you know, people are stressed out about work, their life, their family, all that other things, all those other things. And uh, it kind of gets rolled into that Facebook political fight you know what i mean not only am i taking out my aggression because you don't think the same way i think i'm taking out my aggression because you know work was tough my boss is riding my ass blah 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 you know you find these different things that uh kind of you can turn into something else you know displace that anger into other things rather than actually solving the problem or working on what it is you need to work on yeah and Um, people create their own reality just like you said on facebook a lot of times you know people don't really portray who they are on Facebook to an extent, you know, it's really easy to show the good things or to show the bad things or to show, you know, what it is that suits you. It's like a projection. Exactly. You know, I'm making surrogates, man. Surrogates. Exactly. What was that? What was that movie where, uh, I think Bruce Willis was in it, but was it called surrogates? Surrogates. I don't know. It might've been where I don't know. It was sometime in the future and everybody was kind of projecting this image that went out and like lived their life for them, mm-hmm. but they were really like hooked into a computer and like their their image Matrix style. Their image was like beautiful and smart and 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 crisp and, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean and uh, charming. And they were just kind of like plugged into this computer and like old and and out of shape and you know looked like shit. Right. Um. And this came out in the nineties, I think. 
maybe early 2000s, but I thought always thought it was interesting. But I see that actually happening. Like a lot of these sci-fi movies, you know, over time start to come true. And and I'm, I'm a big sci-fi fan, at least recently. And it seems like, you know, we're... Where in you know, because movies come out, they they show something, and then it puts it in the minds of people, and then I think they do shape the evolution of people and technology, you know, subconsciously or or not. But it it's weird because I do feel like we're all kind of turning into these projections on the social media, right? Our you know, our real life persona is much different than what we put out and project to the world or social media or our followers or whoever, and it's really interesting because like. With science fiction and stuff, so many things for so long have been shaped by that. And, like, the media in general and all of our culture, I mean, Altered Carbon and stuff. Are we Like, I've read different books, too, about, like, downloading our brains into these robots and stuff like that and having, you know, alters and other things that go out and do all this stuff for us. And I think that's the direction that we're moving for- towards. And I think that's why, like... That's at least what Elon Musk's talking about. And Yang... The Yang Gang, he's all about that because he's afraid AI is going to eliminate all of these different jobs that people have. That's why he wants to do the, like the thousand dollars. Yeah, which we're seeing kind of right now with uh, the stimulus checks. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it is weird. Uh, that's I. That's that is a part I never because they laughed at Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. I mean, people laughed at that idea, and literally three months later. They're giving every single American twelve hundred dollars. Granted, I didn't get mine yet, and I'm fucking pissed. But right, but in the, in, you know, going back to like, do we trust the government to do everything? I haven't gotten mine, and like trying to use the IRS website, and weren't taking no calls. It's like I was thinking, if this is how it is when big government is doing things for people, like I don't like it because right. it's not working out, you know. But anyway, it, it is weird to hear Andrew Yang come out with a UBI conversation, and then everybody kind of laughing at it right like yeah right and, and now with this pandemic it actually started happening and that to me showed the seriousness of the pandemic because i never in a million years thought the government would just pay me 1200 bucks yeah and the thing about it is is like that is very much like part of andrew yang's principle or like ideas you know the universal basic income but nobody's really nobody wants to see it as that though because everybody's so afraid of this the idea of socialism or the idea of like social projects becoming bigger and more than what they are right now so they just like no we're just completely government stimulus package you know what i mean this isn't socialism this isn't redistribution of wealth this is a stimulus package which we've done before but nobody wants to acknowledge that like these are all like part of socialist principles or communist principles however far you want to take it and uh Going back to trusting the government, it's really interesting because uh, Stephen King, which also kind of reminds me about this, um, he wrote a book called The Stand, um, where tons and tons of people die. And he also has this other book where he talks about how um, every branch of the government is ran by the Dallas police because the Dallas police are the people who are responsible for getting Kennedy shot and watching, uh, watching, you know, they were supposed to protect him and make sure that he was safe and all these other things. And then he talks about how the Dallas police gets somehow put in charge of every major government operation. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't From know why that makes 9-11 me laugh. to the CIA to... When was this book written? Oh, a long time ago. Probably it was one of his first books. So I don't know whenever Stephen King started writing books. It's called Tommyknockers. It's really it's really good. And it also put like the fear of nuclear power into me. That's like the one thing that I really the book's remember. book's called Tommyknockers? Tommyknockers. I thought it was called The Stand. 
Oh, well, no, The Stand is the other book that he wrote, that which is about, like, tons of people just dropping dead. Probably, like, 90% of the population just drops dead, and they have to learn how to survive and get through this new pandemic time. I guess that's what... I. There's no doubt that this whole situation is ramping up paranoia in general, and not even specific to corona or COVID-19, but just in general, oh, shit, something like this can happen. Right. And they're telling us that something like this... Could be, worse, again. Yeah. could be worse and could be worse um and and it's and it's crazy because these viruses mutate and they get smarter you know they're like living organisms that that morph to be more effective um and there's been even talk that it's like slowly mutating now and if they do come out with a vaccine by that time will it have muted in, you know mutated into a different strain and that thought in general is scary and not just because of covid-19 but because where, you know, what else? Like we were saying earlier, something that had like a 30% kill rate, you know. Right. It makes me want to, uh, it makes me want to buy a fucking gun and a bunch of seeds and just be prepared because right. who knows what's going to happen. Right. It's Am I going to grow my own food? Am and I going to have to? And then sitting around not having a lot to do and kind of just, you know, lets the mind wonder to like, what if? Um, that's fucking, I'm watching this cat. Sorry. <laughs> it just wants that oh, fish. She's, it, she's never reached her hand in that hole like that before to try and get this fish. She's getting smarter too. While you're not home, it's probably all she's doing is trying to catch this fish. Look, she's going into the tank. I didn't mean to sidetrack us, but it's okay. She, she definitely, she's a wild cat. Do you think she, she would eat that fish? Oh yeah, dude. I've kind of, as much as I don't want a mouse to be in my house, I would really like to see her like chase a mouse around or some sort of if there was a mouse that's the thing about having a cat yeah you would know right because she would be on it she would be on it dude she's very active and very she like came from the streets too she's a hood cat she's from 23rd and Ash. yo that's a street cat there and she was just a kitten living <laughs> down there when my friend found her and then i rescued her um she comes to you in a dream like you know what i've been through tony right she's she's a thug <laughs> dude she's a, she's repping the streets hard um out here surviving but yeah it's uh it is, it is weird times, and, and like I keep saying, it's not just because of this current situation. It's uh, It opens my mind up to like, oh, what's possible? You know, we, we it's unprecedented times, man. We got the government sending us checks, 90%, all these businesses are closed down. Um, you know, I lost my first job, Ember and Forge, I was working there, and she, uh, shout out to them, they're, they're awesome. Uh, she, you know, she couldn't have a staff so she's down there hannah's down there delivering coffees and doing pretty much everything by herself um and i'm glad that and if you're listening you should get coffee delivered from them because they're delivering house to house that's how i've been getting all my beans they've been bringing them nice i should talk to her about mushroom the mushroom mushroom coffee, coffee. like yeah. we should offer it you know but um so sure it would sell it was a lot of things happen in the world like all the time and you hear about them, and you read about them, uh, watch documentaries about them, but it's not like they really affect you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's now. It seems like we're getting to a level of uh, it, where where things are fa- affecting me. Right. You know, things are affecting my kid. My kid hasn't been. You know, he's done with the. He was in pre K. He's done. You know, and that's not. That's everybody. So this shit, the strange times have been heightened to where okay. You know, this isn't just some thing happening in China that we hear about. It's like right now happening here. And what else can happen? Right. I mean, when the pain becomes great enough, people start to change. Yeah. And right now, a lot of people are experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And, um, you know, 
going through this whole process. And there's also like uh, cosmological awakenings right now, like we're moving into the age of Aquarius, which is the water bearer, which is supposed to bring gifts. You know, you're, the water bearer comes in, offers prosperity and has the water and gives the people what they need. And as we're like transitioning to this time, it's supposed to be like a great awakening spiritually amongst like the whole world and stuff as we're moving from into this new age, which is every it, yeah. like 2000 years or something like that. Astrology, correct? Astrology. Yeah. Um, Jesus was Pisces. Yeah. Which also kind of goes into like the fish, you know, the story of the seven fishes that fed the 40 people and all that stuff, which yeah. is why... They, I don't know. It all kind of ties in together. And now we're moving into this new age of Aquarius, which is supposed to be an age of enlightenment and prosperity and all these other things, but wouldn't hurt. You know, I'm an Aquarius. I don't know how relevant that is. I never looked too far in astrology, but I am an Aquarius. Does it have any relevance to the age of Aquarius? Uh, not particularly other than it's the same, it's the same time. Um, the age is determined by like where the earth is lined up with the stars around the outside and the different, um, how much do you invest? How much do you actually, do you believe in that? Uh, minimally, but I think it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's interesting. I, I like study it and I know my Zodiac symbol. I know my Zodiac symbol in a few different like forms of astrology. And, uh, I just think it's interesting stuff. Um, how everything ties together. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would be the silver lining though is enlightenment. Okay. This happened. It could happen. Uh, our, our uh, priorities have shifted and they've shifted for the best. Hopefully. Um, I was taught my, my friend, Matt Texter, another musician, shout out to Matt. If he ever hears this or um, check him out, he's fucking badass. But he was, he posted something online and we were kind of chatting about, you know, hopefully we wake up a little bit. You know, when it comes to climate change, when it comes to all these things, okay, these threats are real. You know, people might not believe them at first, but when they become real, they become real, and then everybody panics. Like, maybe we'll take some shit serious from now on um, ahead of time. And, and, and he was thinking, you know, fingers, you know, we were saying, hopefully this teaches people. And then my thought was like, you know, I don't, there's some of these people that are just unteachable. I, I, I think, and what we were saying with, how corporate everything is and how everything's based on money. You can't trust uh, legitimate news sources anymore. I mean, maybe you never could, but wh where are we too far gone to become enlightened from this situation? Right. And, and that's a thought that's kind of freaks me out. Like, cause my kid's five years old. Um, what's it going to be like when he's my age? Like, it's probably going to be radically different. And I'm, and it's hard to say at this point, if it's going to be a good different, you know, because there, there's two very clear paths I can see. They like got a fork in the road. And it's, we're either, you know, things are going to be more enlightened. We're going to learn from our mistakes. And we're going to change into this more um, empathetic, you know, priorities have shifted people for the good. Or shit's going to go horribly awry, dude. Yeah, I mean, I could, just feel like we're there, or we're we're some weird place in the middle where where the extremes just keep getting farther and farther, right? And on I both sides, I think that there isn't like one surefire answer to either of those. You know what I mean? It really Ooh. depends on our own personal story. You know what I mean? Our own personal thing that we go through. You know, some people will change for the better, and so, I'm sure some will change for the worse. 
And it's just up to us to make that decision and make that choice, whether we want to go in a positive direction and learn from this and embrace the things that are around us and these new opportunities that have arisen, or if we want to cling to the past or get more extreme and become more isolated and more focused on money and more focused on these other things that are not really benefiting us in a good way. Yeah, these these characteristics that that seem irrelevant, but they're so dominant, like like ego, greed, um, power, control. These are things that are literally what's ruining the world. Um, and even the American dream is basically, I mean, you take all the fucking lovey-dovey American dream, white picket fence, look at this family, take all that out of the window. It's kind of a whole entire concept graced on like fucking greed. Right. Making money and becoming and prosperous. Is that sustainable? And- Has it proven that we were so new? We're like, how old were we? 250 years? Roughly. I mean- are we fucking eating ourselves alive? And that's kind of what Bernie Sanders, that's why I dug him. And I'm not really into politics like blue no matter what, red no matter what. I just like that he was somebody that was finally talking about this shit. Right. On on a major level. I found it interesting. And he seemed very passionate about it. Um, and I think, Cor- I think Trump did that, not to keep talking about politics, but he did that for people. He kind of had a, a similar platform, like down with big government, uh, fucking or you know, down with corporatism. I'm 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 here for you guys. And it, right. I don't think he's necessarily. He was brilliant in a sense that he kind of does status quo, but makes people think that he's not. <laughs> right. And like, but I, people can relate to that shit. Right. Like, it's obvious that we're eating ourselves alive in a sense, and the outcome is not looking good. And we're gonna need some. You know, people are gonna come together and realize we, we're getting so caught up on these details. We're making our priorities are all fucked and we're eating ourselves alive. Right. And I think that both uh, like Trump and Bernie Sanders are both like chaos agents in a way, you know, they have that kind of archetype where they're like down with the status quo, you know, we're going to change things. We're going to do things differently. And there's a lot of people that are unhappy with how things are going, which is why so many people are really attracted to him. It's just, that we're Trump, attracted to these radical ideas right. because I'm going to drain the swamp. I'm going to make small government. I'm going to get the right people in there. We're going to make positive trade deals. We're going to do, I think that's why people are so bummed out with Biden because there's nothing about him that seems revolutionary. No, he's like, all right, guys, let's slow things down. Let's get how it used to be. Right. You know, you guys are getting fucked, but I see more empathetic. Right. We're going to take small <laughs> steps to gradually get to this big change or this radical change rather than very underwhelming. Yeah. You know? Like I'm not very, I, I think people hear Trump and they get excited. Right. Like, oh my God, this is, this guy's finally saying what nobody's ever said. And I think on the opposite end of things, that's where they were with Bernie. Like finally somebody's talking for me. And I think both of those people had had that going for them. Right. They were the outsider, so, you know, they weren't part of the mainstream bullshit that's been going on for the past we're sick of the mainstream especially this new generation i don't think we're we're not loving this status quo shit right um but i think you know they call him you know status quo joe (laughs) right keep things the same he has adopted like some more progressive policies especially since the the there's like the strong progressive movement and he wants to attract these biden yeah or these uh sanders and warren supporters and stuff but it's it's really you know half measures avail is nothing and yeah. I'd rather go all in. And is he just saying it now? You know, in he, the last his track record is so awful for all for so many different things to say that he's actually like embracing this progressive movement now. You know, it was it's just like I don't know, man. It, the, it, this whole situation is bringing on so many thoughts. You know, 
it's and I'm not I haven't been freaked out by this whole corona thing to the point where some people are paranoid you know I try to keep I've been in dark times personally so seeing the whole world in dark times I wouldn't want to say it's comforting but it seems like my it's been my reality before and like some other people maybe they need to see this reality right um especially with drugs and i've shared about this at a couple different meetings that like back when i was using Uh, by the way tony is uh in recovery and works in the recovery field we're gonna i guess we'll kind of get we'll talk about that i'm sure but in inactive addiction i definitely like looked at you know, I didn't see much hope for anything, and I was waiting for something like this to happen, like some sort of apocalypse or mass depopulization, and then anarchy, and then I could finally be free and live my life because everything that I knew was so messed up and so dark at those times. And now that like I've been clean for a little while, like the possibility of seeing my life change and going to those like anarchistic ideals or anarchistic beliefs and rioting and looting in the streets and all that stuff, Mad Max style. Um, is really like scary to me now. You know, I like my life that I have. Wow, now. this really could actually com- be possible. Exactly. And back then, I was like waiting for it. Like, I can't wait till the zombie apocalypse comes. This is gonna be great. Yeah. And now that it's actually like on our doorsteps, it's like this is this is not as great or as comforting as I thought it was going to be back then. Just because the pers- perspective has changed. Yeah. You know? It seemed like that was like the only way things would get better is a completely fresh start, and all my problems that I had could be somehow wiped away, and I would be brand new. Whereas now I don't want all the things that I have to go away, you know, and for things to change. Maybe um, it's one of those things. I've been there too, where, you know, drug induced or just maybe an imbalance where you feel like you're living in this like nagging, depressing hell mm-hmm. and you subconsciously, like you, you want to see other people go through it too. Right. You know, you want other people to see what this life can really be like on the dark side of things. Cause I felt that same way too. Like I'm ready. I've always, you know, I've kind of thought the, um, the fatalist in me wants to see the fucking world burn a little bit. Right. And uh, I think my addiction and, and maybe some like mental health issues have fueled that over the years. Um, like I want to see the world burn basically. Um, and then I would agree that like getting clean, that kind of stuff washes away and then seeing it, um, being a semi possibility in real life it's like oh shit you know do i really want this right um yes no <laughs> maybe i don't know i That's mean the joker some people just want to see the world burn exactly you know? <laughs> exactly like the joker but i i agree with you it is uh it is weird but you know i didn't panic I have I didn't have the money to go right to the stores and and buy five hundred dollars worth of groceries and everything in all the toilet paper. I literally went to a corner store and bought like a four pack, and a four pack of TP has lasted. I just ran out the other day. Yeah, you know. So like, I went to Walmart the other or uh, Giant Eagle the other night and plenty of meat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it, I, granted, if things get if things were heightened with some new pandemic or this gets crazier and crazier, who knows? If it mutates, whatever. Um, is there going to be a time you go to the grocery store and there's no fucking food there? That's a scary thing. Right. You know? Yeah. Because then you're going to have people literally kicking your door down for a pound of beef. Absolutely. And I could see with how everybody reacted, I could see that that's a possibility. Like we haven't evolved. People haven't evolved to some level of like supreme morality to where, no, I would never do that. Right. Like I'm fucking starving. I'm going to shoot this guy in the face for some beef. Right. Like I kind of got a sense of, oh yeah, that would happen. 
Absolutely. You <laughs> it know, would happen quicker than we think. We'd be back in caves with sticks, bro. Quicker than we think. And and <laughs> like that sense of community is gone, you know, like all for one. Like, oh, if we all work together, you know, we can do this, you know, work as a team and build this community and take care of ourselves and take care of each other. I just don't see that going in that way. And like, at least in most like major metropolitan, not even major, but metropolitan areas, you know what I mean? In cities and bigger towns and stuff like that. I think there'd be a lot of people that are, you know, out for themselves rather than trying to connect with others and, you know, pull resources and this, this kind of shows me that we need. Yeah. This kind of shows me though, that the place to be is out in the cut, out in the country. Oh yeah. Like I, you know, just in general, uh, I feel like being in a, a country town right now would probably be, you know, fewer cases, um, you know, more people growing their own stuff. Uh, you know, it just, it seems, uh, you know, you're more secluded in general. I think ideally it'd be nice to live in an area like that, but you're like an hour or 45 minutes from like a big metropolitan area. Yeah. Like so you hour. have the best of both worlds, you know? I agree. That's where I'd like to be at some point, you know, about half hour outside of the city, 20 minutes. It doesn't even have to really be that far out of the city. You're talking about Fairview, baby. <laughs> like, yeah, Fairview. You even know, though Erie is not Harbor like Creek, that amazing of a giant city. Outside of Mill Creek. So, Tony, uh, subject change. How long have you been clean? I've been clean for five years, six years on Halloween this year. Halloween. Halloween. What did? What was your drug of choice? Uh, honestly, I've never really pro- asked anybody a drug of choice. It was probably alcohol and weed. But I did all, I did everything, you know what I mean? But I, I did the most of that. I did that every single day, you know, wake up, smoke, drink, and then wherever the night took me was fine, whether it was benzos, cocaine, hallucinogens, party drugs, whatever, it didn't really matter. I was down with all of it. And like each one kind of stuck for a little bit, you know what I mean? There was a time where I was doing lots of opiates for couple months lots of speed for a couple months lots of coke for a couple months but none of them really like yeah. i was never like this is the one other than weed and alcohol you know what but I they mean? used that to call that there. a poly substance abuser poly substance abuser i have it, a, pr- a prescription upstairs actually from a doctor when i overdosed that i kept that recommended inpatient rehab for poly substance abuse didn't they uh you work uh, tony also works now in the recovery field that's right. I've been I worked at Gadenzia for about three years, which is an inpatient substance abuse and mental health facility. Are you a counselor? Or are you I was just a counselor. A so you got a degree. I have a degree. I have my Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Penn State Barron. Um, I started as a house manager. I was a house manager for about nine months at Gadenzia. While you were going to school? While I was going to school, working full time. And uh, the director was like, we want you to be a counselor. We think you have what it takes. We see a lot of good in you. And uh, we want you to start being a counselor's assistant, which basically means you're a counselor, but somebody has to sign off on all of your work. And that was a really great experience. I'm super grateful for that. I spent about nine months on our residential floor. And then I worked for after about nine months, they asked me to come down to work on the co-occurring floor. And uh, what's co-occurring? Co-occurring is when you have the substance abuse issues as mixed in with uh, mental health. Not to say that the residential um, program didn't have people with mental health issues, but uh, I guess the more severe mental health cases or people that weren't medically stable or emotionally stable were in the co-occurring floor, which is where I worked for about a year with all sorts of different people with far ranging mental health disorders. From- were you, cause when I went through, I went through uh cadenzi at the end of 2018. Um, 
and that, I've been clean ever since. Uh, you were there. You no longer work there. I no longer work there. But you were upstairs. I was in the, uh, without getting into too much detail, I was in the, um, the crazy floor, the co-occurring floor, you know. I can neither confirm nor deny where you were. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, 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 you, yeah. But, yeah, I worked there around 2018. But you never saw me there. Never saw you there. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, yeah, I forget. I forget about, uh, was it HIPAA? HIPAA, yeah, absolutely. I'm not allowed to talk about any of the people. I can talk. I can't talk about any of the people that I've worked there with by name, and I wouldn't really want to share stories about people or anything like that. Um, it's very important to me to make sure I uphold that confidence. Yeah, 100%. With and, I, and I mean to push that. that no, it's okay. That, um, you know, I'm just a streetsman. So I don't, right. I don't know the rules. Right. No, it's okay. Um, what do you, how, how was it, how was it being an addict and then been clean and then working with other addicts? Because the thing is, is let's be realistic, man. The, the recovery rate in drug addiction is fucking low. About 10%. 10%. Of people that are at inpatient rehab. A little bit less than 10% actually. Um, now. We'll stay clean for over a year. How many, you know, I wonder what the, what the percentages of people that go to rehab and then never use drugs and alcohol again their whole life. Probably less than that. And, and, and the percentages change based on how many times you've been there, right? Uh, I don't really know off the top of my head. I'm sure they probably but, do, but. Granted, you probably try to, to counsel and talk to people like, you know, statistics are irrelevant. Statistics are, see, that can go two ways, you know, because a lot of times that can be. A motivational thing like look only three out of you 30 people that are here are going to stay clean for over a year and sometimes that can help get a a fire lit for certain people like i gotta work hard i gotta make sure i do this because you're at the end of the day um you're gonna get what you put in out of it as far as your recovery goes as far as treatment goes as far as anything goes and if you're gonna go there and work hard and you know get down to to business and figure out yourself and how to handle these emotions and all these things that make you want to drink or make you want to use then you're going to do a lot better than somebody who's just you know not really putting their best effort in there putting their best effort forward um so it can go both ways like at the same time like you know a certain level of like okay i need to be part of this three like 10 percent or whatever these three people out of 30 that are going to make it if if i see that because I'm a really competitive person, so I need to do better than all of these other people and work <laughs> harder than all of these other people if yeah. I'm going to be the person that makes it. So it really can go either way, whether or not you want to say statistics are irrelevant and everybody's going to make it or like, and honestly, I hope that the statistics are irrelevant and I want everybody to make it. But at the same time, like you got to work hard you got to put the effort in, you got to, you know, learn how, what it's going to take to get you to stay clean. I salute you, man. Uh, salute you for doing that because you know working in the field and I've thought about it too with being a house manager or, or doing something like that even go for counseling because I obviously have some experience and then knowledge and and hopefully can bring hope to people and um, I've been kind of teetering that line between you know can I do it with music can I do it with just uh, maybe putting together some sort of presentation at some point that's like specifically directed towards people in recovery all these things um but it's got to be hard to be a counselor because I, you know, I've been to rehabs inpatients. I've been to several inpatients, um, under 10, but several. And, you know, you become friends with people. It's like camp. 
you know, you're you're housed with these people 24-7. You're right. in all these groups. Close. They're, they're usually small groups of people. And you get to know these people. And then when you leave, friends online or friends wherever, and um, you people you see people like immediately like falling off, losing weight. Several people that I've met in treatments and got bunked with for, you know, I've been to treatments anywhere from 28 days to six months. So to be that close with these people and then having see them die has been crazy and i've only been there for brief times um and the numbers have been huge with like people that have died or ended up in prison for life or whatever it's crazy so somebody like you who's been in these facilities 24 7 for an extended period of time that number you know you've counseled these people you've been there for them and then to see them go off and just die right that's that's got to be rough it you know it is hard um I don't want to, I don't want to sound heartless, but I, you know, you got to compartmentalize and you got to kind of got to detach and remember that they're clients, you know what I mean? And it's hard not to take on part of that responsibility. Like, oh, maybe if I would have done this differently, or maybe if I would have worked with them in this way, things would have been different. But at the end of the day, it's their choice. You know, if they want to stay clean, they'll do it. And if they, if they want to go out and get high and use or break the law or do whatever it is they're going to do, like... Why do you That's think not my why do you think it is that people cannot why do you think some of the core reasons are that people like you know cuz outsiders that don't use drugs I'm sure they don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know because even when I've had extended periods of clean time I look at people that keep relapsing and relapsing and I'm like get it together bro. Right. Like what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. Granted I've been that guy you know where I've been on the opposite side of the spectrum. It's all about mindset. I've been the guy that doesn't think about using, goes to my meetings, talks to my group of people. I surround myself with good people. I'm motivated in a positive direction, and I can't comprehend why people keep going back. And then I've been the guy that for three years straight, I cannot stop using drugs. It doesn't matter what I do. Uh, Nothing's going to help me. Uh, I'm on a mission for death. I don't know how people get a day clean. I've been on both sides of that spectrum. And over the years, I've realized that it's all about what I'm doing at that time, how long I've been away from the drugs, who are, who's in my life, who isn't. And it's that's when I realized I was an addict because I've been on both sides of that spectrum. And there's like, okay, there's obviously some, once I start using and letting these things that have kept me clean out of my loop, I really see like the damage that it does and realize that, you know, this is some addiction or some disease that gets set off with with you know how i how i act and what i put into my body um and the shit's real because i i had five five years clean from all drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. um after i went to Gadenzi in 2012 um and i same thing i couldn't you know i couldn't why are these people using i don't get it like what the fuck right. don't they see the light and then i relapse and saw no light so why do you think it is that you know what do you think these people that somebody wanted to know that was a layman like I don't get it I don't see how people can continue to use these things even though it's obvious they're going to kill them because I think that's a lot a lot of people don't have any empathy for drugs because they've never been around it they don't you know obviously you shoot heroin you're going to die why why should I care this person's a fucking idiot right and I think this is going to be a long answer I think that a lot of people who use drugs it becomes you know, it, it envelops them. It becomes a part of their whole world. You know, most drug addicts start using drugs at an early age before we ever really develop any healthy coping skills or learn how to deal with our emotions. 
And a lot of times it starts out as just, you know, something fun or whatever, and then gradually evolves until it's the only thing, you know what I mean? The only way I'm going to feel good, the only way I'm going to get over this depression, the only way I'm going to be able to get out of bed in the morning, the only way I'm going to be able to tolerate myself, you know? And I think that the reason people keep using is because they, that's, that's all they know as how, as far as how to make themselves feel better, or at least feel decent enough to like continue living and they're afraid to look at themselves honestly and acknowledge what the real part of the problem is. So many people um, that I see are in complete denial, you know, I don't have a problem or I do have a problem, but my problem isn't drugs. It's that I can't hold a job or it's that I can't support myself or I can't, you know, do these other things. And that makes me break the law and that makes me do this. And, you know, my problem is not that I'm using drugs, it's that I'm on probation. And that gives you a really interesting perspective as like a counselor because it gives you a point of motivation. You know what I mean? Like maybe we don't have to attack the substance abuse first right out of the gate. Maybe we can address how we're not going to get you to violate your probation or how we're going to get you to manage your emotions or your mental health. You know, how can we build things around your life so that way you're not going to want to use anymore. And I think once you start to develop that life, you know what I mean? It's first six months is hard because a lot of people are starting out square one. You know, they ain't got nothing, no car, no job, no cash. You can't even trust yourself. Right. You know, that's why I've always, anytime I've ever gone for, you know, you get in that habit of using and I'll, I'll do an outpatient. Well, when you're in the thick of it, an outpatient isn't. For me, I was such a serious drug addict that, Going somewhere once a day for an hour or once a week was just a fucking joke. Right. You know, I took away from my time, but it appeased whoever I needed to appease. Yeah. Like my parents, you need to do something. You know, it's times like after high school, I lived with my folks and was using, it was like, I'll do an outpatient. I'll do an outpatient. And pretty soon they're like, dude, the outpatients aren't working for you. Mm -hmm. You need to fucking go somewhere. We're never going to talk to you again. So I think time away initially is key because like I went to Cadenzia for three months, did the halfway house for three months, got into a long-term so uh, sober living situation because I know that I cannot trust myself with three months clean on the street. Right. And like that motivation is so, so big, especially early on. I didn't go to rehab. Well, I went to rehab for like f- five or six days. Um, what caused me to get clean, I had been using for a long time and in and out of outpatient and all this other stuff in AA and NA meetings. And uh, what actually really made me realize that I actually had a problem and it wasn't all these other things was when I broke my neck in uh, 2013, um, December 23rd, 2013, I broke my neck, my fractured my C3 vertebrae and was in a coma for a number of days. And uh, when I woke up, they told me what what happened and initially I'm like, oh, well, it's time to kill myself. You know what I mean? That's what I need to do. Um, there's obviously no other alternative. There's nothing left for me. So and, you were in the hospital. Yeah. And they pretty much immediately knocked me back out and put me back into a coma for a while. And then I woke up and I talked with a couple of the nurses and doctors who all told me that I basically should not be walking, breathing, and more than likely dead at this point. And, and you were uh, fucked up when this wreck happened? Yeah. Uh. You don't want to go and do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I was talking with the nurses and stuff like that, and they're like, you should you should be dead. And then I was talking with this one guy who was my suicide watch nurse, 
and who kind of brought it up to me that like I really needed to change my life and quit doing the things that I was doing because it was going to kill me. And I think that that, um, man, how long were you in the hospital? Uh, about a week with a broken neck. What is it? I've, you know, what is it a, recovering from a broken neck? Like, um, it wasn't like, I don't know. I got super blessed, dude. Some sort of miracle angels, whoever ancestors, great spirit, whoever was watching <laughs> out for me. And like, I more than more or less walked it off. Um, I should have been like most people who I fractured my C3 vertebrae, which is the part of your spine that controls all your respiratory functions. So when I woke up, I was on a ventil ventilator and I was like, what's going on here? I don't know. Cause I was like, you know, out and I had no idea where I was. I couldn't really remember very much at that time. And I still don't really remember the accident or the day of the accident. Um, but, um, I'm like, what's going on? And there's like these nurses over top of me. They're like, you need to breathe, Tony. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How am I not breathing right now? And they're like, no, you need to breathe. You're not breathing right now. You're on a ventilator. You need to breathe, Tony. You have to show us that you can breathe and we can take it out. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I guess I started breathing. I didn't really do it consciously or anything like that. I just started breathing, I guess. And then they pulled out the ventilator. But you were awake. I was awake. I can imagine that, like being awake, laying there, having a conversation, and somebody saying, you're not breathing on your own. Right. I'm sure that was kind of like a mind fuck. Like, are you, it, like, what do you mean? Right. How am I not breathing? I have to be breathing. I'm alive right you're now. I'm talking. You were talking? No, I wasn't talking to him. I, I had a big, the ventilator is like a huge yeah, tube yeah, that yeah. goes down. You can't Dumb really question. talk with it. <laughs> But I couldn't really feel it. Any, or like anything I was like smoking that. a cigar. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I started, I showed them that I could breathe and they pulled out the ventilator. Then they asked me to wiggle my toes. And I'm like, why do you want me to wiggle my toes? And what was that giant thing doing in my mouth? And I wiggled my toes for them and that was fine. And then they knocked me back out because um, they didn't want to cause any damage or anything like that. You know what I mean? I had to be sedated so I didn't move around. And so that way the bone could start to set. And uh, eventually... They woke me up again and told me what happened. Uh, I told them I was going to kill myself and started trying to pull shit out of uh, my arms. And they put me on suicide watch. And then I got moved out of ICU and uh, stayed there a couple days. And then from there, I went to Stepping Stones, which is a facility in Meadville, um, which is a, a really high intensive care because it's a hospital-based facility. And that was the only place that would accept me because I was such a huge liability with a broken neck. But I could walk. I could talk i could move around i could do all this stuff my neck hurt really freaking bad the whole time uh because i wasn't obviously i'm in rehab they're not going to give me any opiates to ease the pain in my neck so i was zero just, zero pain meds zero pain meds uh, wow. i don't even think i took aspirin there because i didn't know how it worked i didn't know if i could go up to like a med cart i like obviously i know now that i would have had to go to the med cart and figure out how to get some painkillers or whatever or some aspirin but I just kind of stuck it out and the doctors and nurses would always be like, what's your pain like? And I would describe it to them as if somebody was slamming an ice pick with a hammer down the back of my neck. Oh my God. And it just hurt really bad for a while. And I stayed there, I think like a week and then they let me out uh, because that's all that I could stay there with my insurance because it's such a high level of care and it's so expensive. And uh, then I went to IOP and one of my friends that I used to use with was there and he had a sponsor and his sponsor became my sponsor, my first sponsor. And I was going to meetings and stuff like that regularly. I was wearing a neck brace. It's, it's interesting because the people that I've known for a long time in the room still are the ones that remember me coming in there with a neck brace. And, uh, 
messed what, up. What like year that. was this? 2000. Well, I broke my neck in 2000, December 2013, so it would have been early 2014. So that was six years ago. So you relapsed since then? A couple times. About every nine months for two years. But, but you know, there, it, that's what's crazy about addiction is there can be pivotal moments that that really did some effect on where you want to go. And, and you might relapse after those things, but they still play a giant part in the mm-hmm. whole recovery. You know, would you, would you say that that was a wake-up call to, like, what you wanted to be? you know, or where you wanted to be and be out of that situation. That had to have been some, you know, eye opening. It was, um, each time was a little bit different. And, uh, I was really, I was fortunate enough to be around like such good people so early on and to be really well connected that I like, I had lost like my old friend group that I had used with and gained this new friend group so quickly that I wanted to, I didn't want to be alone. You know what I mean? That's what I had felt like for so long was that I was alone and I didn't have anybody on my side or, uh, that was really there for me that really understood me. And I, I just wanted to be connected. You know what I mean? And I had found that connection so long through drugs and these people that I thought were my, well, that some of them really are my friends and I still talk to you today, but a lot of them were just interested in what I had to offer. And well, addiction, you know, you're, it's, it makes anybody capable of being in any sort of um, real loving relationship. And yeah, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I had some friends that um, that have cleaned up since and we're still friends. We still talk all the time, but we were both incapable of actually being friends at the time. Right. Um, and it, you, you can't be around though, even though you know deep down, like, okay, this is a good person, they're incapable of being a friend like I was incapable of being a good friend and uh, it's not going to work being around them when they're still getting high right and even I, though you know that person's a good person and I, I struggle with that too because I had boys like ride or die oh yeah friends that we we partied together all the time we had moments where we're 5 a.m. and we're crying hugging each other and you know true, true genuine moments but and I couldn't let that go. You know, I, I got to be around this person. This person, we've seen right. Helen back together. Um, and that I think that's what really made it so hard for me to get clean prior to my accident. Because I'd been going to meetings and IOP and stuff since I was 20. But, you know, I always felt isolated. I always felt alone. And, like, those guys were always there for me. You know, I'd known them since elementary school, some of them. And, like, hung out with them every day for most of my, for, like, a large portion of my life. And not to say that, like, they're bad people at all. A lot of them, like, most of them are all, like, really good guys, you know, live perfectly happy, functioning life and take care of themselves and have good things going for them. It's just that, like, for me, the 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 drugs and the alcohol made my life unmanageable. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, they say uh, acceptance is everything in recovery and being able to accept that you know, like wholeheartedly accept, I cannot, I've got to make some big changes, you know, some low, you know, who I'm around, who I'm talking to, how I talk, how I treat people. Um, that's one thing, even with clean time, I never got into the 12 steps. Um, and it was interesting. I have a buddy, um, a music buddy that recently had gotten clean and he uses AA and he was like, you know, he had never really known what the 12 steps were. And we talk about them all the time. 
mm-hmm. um, because we're used to them and we know what they are. He thought it was like really 12 easy steps to quit drinking. Like, first off, you know, don't pour drinks. So, you right. know, he, like, he's like <laughs> right. explaining to me like what he thought they were. And he's like, dude, when I actually started going to meetings, and I think a lot of people, they're like, I hear about the 12 steps. I don't fucking really know what it is, what it does. Um, and so he was explaining to me like what he thought it was. Um, and then what he actually found out they were, which is this like guide of like self-acceptance, looking for power, you know, greater than yourself, um, going over character defects, um, going over with another person, like all your rights and wrongs. And they're trying to really find out, accept and sum up who you are and how to move on from that and doing the next right thing. Um, I'm only on six. I just finished my step six, but, um, I think people that aren't, involved in it would find it very interesting and i've always thought that anybody could go through the 12 steps and learn a great deal from them right you know it's 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 an amazing like spiritual journey that you go over with somebody who's already been through them and it was interesting though uh because i remember going to meetings when i was like 17 my you know back then Mm -hmm. i couldn't even comprehend i had a problem but people around me knew like there's something wrong with you right you're fucked up dude you need to go to some meetings so i remember going to them when i was younger and uh so i've always kind of from the day one, I kind of knew what they were about, but it was interesting that, um, to hear somebody that's like, yeah, I had no idea what they were about, but I, from everything you said, uh, it kind of seemed like, like where's doing the first time you ever tried the steps. Did you say clean sense? No, no. <laughs> the first time I, I did the steps, I had a sponsor when I was 20 years old, we worked step one and step two. I stayed clean, maybe three to six months when I was 20 and then eventually like I just felt so alone and so isolated I started hanging out with my boys again you know what I mean all my drinking and all my using friends um I worked all 12 steps um with my sponsor that I had after my accident um and stayed clean almost nine months and relapsed and then was like damn that was really shitty i still love you guys i still want to be a part of this thing i see it making changes in my life and i see it making changes in all these other people's lives you know people that i understood that had what i wanted and if i and like what people said to me was that if i if people have what i want i need to do what they did and that made a lot of sense to me you know so i was very attracted to that like okay i can do what this guy's doing you know what i mean that that makes it much more possible much more graspable much more attainable for me especially if i'm like working with this person calling them every day and you know getting to know them and getting to see how they live their life and if i live my life like them then i'll have what they have because that's what i that's what i really wanted at first you know i didn't really understand this spiritual awakening or any of these other things that were going to go on or going to occur i just wanted the things you know what i mean i wanted to live a normal life have a decent job have a car a place to live maybe a girlfriend all these other things which had been like completely unattainable for me at least for like any extended period of time. Yeah. So I kept, you know, working with these people and I went through a few different sponsors and it seemed like every, yeah, every nine months for about two years, I would relapse over something, whether it was a girl, whether it was reservations or like, I thought I had a get out of jail free pass. Like, Oh no, you know, I can still do this and nobody will ever figure out. Nobody will know. I'll have to just, I'll just keep this a secret and lie to everybody for the rest of, you know, of forever which seemed like a, a very normal thing at that time, you know, like lying and manipulating and not telling people the whole truth because that's what I had been doing for so long. Even before the drugs came around, you know, I was very much entrenched in this 
web of lies to make myself appear to be greater than or more than or appear to be what you wanted me to be, whoever it was, whether it was parents, teachers, friends, whoever, you know what I mean? I was who you wanted. I tried to be who you wanted me and that usually involved a fair amount of deceit. Yeah, well, I think being an addict, you get so used to living in deception all the time. And even, you know, you take the drugs away, you still have those those uh, inclinations, like to do those things. You know what I mean? I don't know if I use that word correctly. But um, sure. <laughs> feeling cl- like, and that's kind of what I'm getting from the steps, you know. it It's like, I've got to be honest in all my affairs. I've got to be true and honest and upfront and try to do the right thing in every single situation because it applies to everything. You know, the moment I start lying to my girlfriend or lying to my parents or being dishonest with my work or taking, you know, taking a little things that you wouldn't think had anything to do with staying clean. For me, like any sort of deception that I'm not proactively working on resolving they they keep that door of like shadiness open in my head right you know and and i obviously am bad at drawing any sort of a line to what's acceptable and what's not so learning that like i have to practice honesty love and respect and like anything i do or i'm doing myself a disservice and eventually i'll get high again so you know and i and one of the big things which is really hard is like impatience like now being 33 for me speaking of myself I, I i get clean and you know my credit's gone to shit i've burned so many bridges i've lost a lot of respect with other people um i've lost a lot of self-respect um i'm financially fucked all these things and I, the impatient wanting more and more and more that guy in me wants people to forgive me right away. I want the I want that money. I want to be on the road touring. I I want all that respect back. Stuff that like takes time naturally and organically and it's just like I'm not used to I I'm used to that. I I want a feeling I get it right the second. Right. So that that parallel from getting high to like how I live my life, like wanting like I want a car, I want a job, but like I've got two DUIs, I got all this shit that like needs taken care of and it needs taken care of correctly and like honestly. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm learning patience, like accepting where I'm at and and being patient and know that if I keep doing the right thing today, I keep practicing these spiritual principles today, like I'll get there. But that's a hard thing to practice because I'm so used to like want feeling get now. Right. You know, like some JG Wentworth shit. Right. You want money, you want it now. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> like and that and when you live your life like that twenty four seven, um, it's hard to break that habit and not just using, but in every aspect of life. Exactly. And that's it, it's a lot of this whole last 18 months, you know, for the first half a year to a year, it was just, you know, all these realizations and like epiphanies to where I was like speechless, you know, it was like kind of sad. There's like beautiful moments to it. And then it's kind of sad, like, man, I've really been in such a denial. I've treated people like shit for so long. Um, I was so selfish for so long. It's hard to accept, like honestly accept that to move forward. Um, I don't think I'd ever done that in the past. Even when I had several years clean, I didn't need, I didn't need people. I didn't need recovery. I didn't, I just wasn't doing any drugs anymore because I'm better than that. Right. That didn't work. I eventually slipped up, you know, I had some emotional shit happen with a girlfriend 
and it just sent me off the deep end um and no amount of music could save me no amount of you know self-righteousness could save me um i really needed na and the 12 steps and 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 accepting that just led to you know trying to accept so much other stuff that really really was vital right it, i mean it plays a big part and it really i think the big thing is that like it breaks down like we all have these like walls and these masks that we put on you know and we use them to protect ourselves from you know things that i've done in the past that are wrong and all of the other stuff you know we put up these walls and these guards so nothing can hit us you know what i mean all these things that we've done in the past are always like on our mind and trying to attack us and we just put this wall up this defense and i think the 12 steps really has an amazing way of breaking down those walls and getting like an accurate look at yourself and realizing that like as long as we don't do that stuff anymore and we like carry ourselves in a, in a good way, you know, and do the next right thing and live our lives by spiritual principles, we don't really have to worry about that stuff anymore. Um, we don't have to have those regrets. We don't have to have those, you know, those, that feeling of shame and guilt anymore. If we just stop acting and stop repeating those same behaviors over and over and over again, which is where I think the 12 steps really gets like a lot of its benefit from you know you're on step six right now and identifying character defects and learning about yourself and seeing you know not only the the exact action that was wrong but what was the motivating factor behind this you know what's crazy doing and, and the people that aren't in na uh don't want to bore you with all this stuff but it is it is interesting um and i think anybody could relate to this but yeah step six is about identifying your character defects and and like you were saying, the the steps in general are really good at pointing out things. Like step one, just seemed you know there's a step working guy that if you're na na narcotics anonymous that you that you go through and you go through it with somebody else that's been through it. But step one, admitting that you're an addict, like it to me, it was like a hundred questions. Like you write them all out, you go through it, just point pinpointing to me that like yes, I am an addict and I'm a dickhead. <laughs> Right. You know, it points out like how fucked up you are exactly. in a hundred different ways. A lot of those questions are exactly the same, but I get the point. It's like showing you, you know, you're dead to rights. Like you can't, the proof's right there. You just wrote it out. But with identifying character defects, um, for me, it was, you know, you've got to do it so many different ways. Like name all your character defects, name out how you've acted on them. And, mm -hmm. you know, my list was like 20 of them, like core ones or 10, 15, something like that. Um, but it just was showing me over and over and I kept writing them out of every section, you know, that mm -hmm. middle section of step six, but you know, why, what feelings were attached to why you did these things? Exactly. And literally I called another addict and I was like, dude, um, I pretty much uh, being insecure, mm -hmm. like being insecure and like scared fear was, it, it kind of brought me to that point. Like, you know, lack of control being insecure being scared were like the root of like pretty much all my character defects and it, it was kind of eye-opening that it, and the steps are great at doing that pinpointing like exactly why you do things as long as you're honest with yourself and, and it's it was confusing to me though like it's, i finally got it in that specific step like why they were asking me but i it made me think like i had to google like associated feelings because I'm, I'm realizing that I'm really bad at addressing certain feelings and like why I'm having them. And this was kind of a guide to realizing why I'm having these feelings and, and you know, what's bringing them on. And, uh, 
but it took some major thought. You know, I went, I did it, I did it initially, and my sponsor is like, "Now nah, you gotta do it again." Oof. Yeah. So this is the second time that I had to do it, but but I'm glad that he did because I was being very vague, mm-hmm. and and I literally did some research into it to try to get as much as I could out of it. I'm excited to keep going with them too. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been through them all? Yeah. Uh, a couple of different ways. I've worked AA steps. I've worked step working guide. I've worked uh, how it works and why. A few different 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 types of ways. I had a, Every time I relapsed, I got a different sponsor um, other than the sponsor I have now because like the if first wanna, thing. If you want to hit that vape, go for it. Yeah. We're to that section. We're We're in the deep cut now. Cool. And we both kind of vape and. Yeah, but every time I did the step, every time I got a, every time I relapsed, I got a new sponsor than the sponsor that I have now. So each time I I went through them a different way and each time I learned a little bit more and something different. And it's cool to see like my evolution in sponsors because like as, as I've changed, they've changed and uh, it's just been really good to get lots of different eyes on, on the different situations and to really figure it out and see what is actually wrong and to get that insight into myself so I can stop making those same mistakes and start to actually really understand how it is that my brain works instead of just being on this like super surface level, which is all that I was when an active addiction, you know, it was very, everything was surface, you know, nothing was really deep, nothing was really um, insightful or, you know, anything that really touched my core. It was just like, these protective barriers that I would put up in the form of character defects. And one of the really interesting things that I found out about character defects is that a lot of times they can be used as assets in a lot of different ways. You know, it just depends on how I'm using them. You know, every character defect is an asset in a way. As long, It just depends on whether I'm using them for the powers of good or if I'm using them for the powers of evil. Yeah, well, it's been, it was explained to me at one point that from a counselor, I believe it came up in a group at some time. And I've been in a lot of those situations over the years. So for something to really stick, it kind of hit me um, that at some point, our character defects were like defense mechanisms that we developed to help us. You know, the brain naturally creates these like isolation. Um, I had some issues growing up. We're cool now, but with my, my adopted dad mm-hmm. um, that really kind of fucked me up. Um, a lot of me being sensitive and, just my sponsor kind of pointed out to me that people are how they are and it's not necessarily it's just what they're going through at the time and things i'd ever considered but there was a relationship that's fucked up so like over the years i developed isolation because i kind of wanted to separate myself from any feelings i had so you know i'd stay in my room a lot and like you develop these things that kind of kind of help you at the time Mm -hmm. like i don't want to get yelled at i don't want to fight i'd rather just be in my room and be in my head and so these character defects were initially like defense mechanisms that the only way that I could deal with certain things at certain times. And eventually they become like a negative way of coping with reality. Right. Just like the drugs and just like everything else. And I think that a lot of those coping skills and mechanisms are really like ancestral. You know what I mean? If we go back like way back in the day, the way that people stayed alive was through fear and paranoia. You know what I mean? Like cavemen, like you had to watch out for predators. You had to watch your back. Is there another 
man, woman, whoever that's out to get me right now. And I have to embrace these types of, of feelings of fear in order to be able to survive. And that's something that's really transcended, at least in my opinion, has really transcended like through ancestral memory to where we're at today, where we still focus on these fear-driven motivations. You know what I mean? That are kind of unnecessary at the time. Right. Because they keep us safe and they keep us protected and they keep us feeling okay with who we are um, rather than actually dealing with them. And one of the other things that I really had to realize was that, you know, things aren't, I can make things bad or good, but they don't have to be bad or good. They just are what they are. You know, if, if I put my hand on a stove that's on and the fire is hot, that doesn't mean that the fire is evil or, you know, punishing me or guilting me or shaming me or doing any of these other things. It just means that the fire was hot, you know, and I kind of take that element of judgment away and saying like, and personalizing it, you know, like, oh, this person's out to get me. This person's doing this to hurt me or anything like that. I can just allow it to be what it is. And I think that I find like a great amount of solace and like power in not having to judge and discern whether or not things are good or bad or whatever. They just are what they are, you know? Yeah. I can relate to that. Cause I, I think I'm, I've been really good at that myself is like, something's awful or something's great mm-hmm. and there's no middle ground. And, uh, I, it, it helped when I heard people say like, you're allowed to feel like shit today. You're allowed to just not really know what you want today. Like it will eventually pass. But like, just because, you know, I've had moments, I don't know what to do with myself, mm-hmm. you know? And I think I like vaping. I like, I like smoking. I like playing music because I like to be stimulated at all times. I like to be watching something that's super interesting, but just sitting in a room, like not having anything to do, I think I would naturally associate that with like, I'm bored. Right. I need something to stimulate. I mean, you get a bag of drugs. Right. You know, I need to text somebody, some chick, some inappropriate shit, mm-hmm. uh, things that I've done in the past. But it's, a, I'm allowed to like, you know, just because there's not some crazy thing happening this moment doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad situation. Right. But I, uh, you know, catastrophize everything in my head. And I'm breaking that cycle that I've done for so long is, um, is rough, but yeah, I can agree with that. I, I think probably met a lot of addicts can, a lot of people in general, you know, there's, there's certain things that just aren't good or bad. They're just are what they are and you don't have to make them be some huge ass shit in your head. Yeah. I mean, we all can magnify and make things as important or as unimportant as they need to be. This has been some deep chat. And like, sometimes (laughs) it's really, really difficult. Like, I think that's where like the point of like enlightenment comes into. And I think a lot of people, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, like fake enlightened or whatever. And they're like, oh, nothing bothers me. I'm happy all the time. I'm great. My life is amazing. And I don't have any problems. And I think that like actually being enlightened is just like being accepting rather than faking that kind those kinds of feelings. And uh oh, shoot, I forgot where I was going with this. But like meditation is really a big thing for me, especially in those situations and just allowing myself to just be, you know, and not having to find some sort of external stimulation, you know, I can just find be okay just breathing and just focusing on that. And that's where you know, I learned to, to calm myself down and to be just okay with not, um, you know, having to be stimulated all the time or having to be, you know, doing something all the time, because like that becomes 
like a drug to me. You know, I, I, I constantly crave stimulation, whether it's going to the gym or going to meetings or going out with people or whatever. And there comes like the balance. Like, am I really allowing myself to feel these emotions or am I just blocking them out with external distractions? You know what I mean? Just like the drugs were, or am I okay to sit and allow myself to feel these negative feelings you know like I recently experienced a breakup and it was really bad for like I I was really depressed for quite a a period of time and uh, I had to accept that it was okay and that I couldn't just like turn these emotions off which I think is like our initial like instinct or initial reactions like oh you know this sucks but I'm not going to think about it I'm going to avoid it I'm not going to go through this grieving process and I'm not going to allow myself to let these feelings or these emotions or this love that I have that was built up inside of me be expressed in a different way. You know, we all have this like internal like pot that's filled with all of our emotions and they need to get out, you know, and we got to express them and allow them to be free rather than just bottling up and stuffing them inside. Because if I bottle things up and I stuff them inside, I'm going to react to things negatively i'm gonna get high or i'm gonna go you know treat people like shit or emotionally implode yeah act out on these defects of character instead of allowing myself to go through this process and express these feelings in a good way and uh you know that can be really hard and it can be really really uncomfortable and sometimes it does like you wish it was just like a water spigot that you could just turn off you know turn the handle and it stops flowing and sometimes it just needs to fucking flow for a little bit whether it's and there's no like right or wrong way to go through those feelings you know and there's no appropriate time limit on them like and that's where you got to find the balance you know is this something that i need to like i felt this way for a while is it something that i need to continue feeling for forever or is it something that i can let go of now have i spent enough time away from this am i distant enough from this that I don't have to see it anymore. And I think that time is like really great healer of all things. You know, the further we are from whether it's our addiction, whether it's grief, loss, whatever, depression, letting ourselves get away, getting away from it and not holding it so close and not constantly ruminating on it is something that's really powerful and really beneficial. And stepping away from those problems allows us to get like a bigger view on it and talking with other people helps us get other perspectives on it. If my problem was a physical thing in here, um, another addict always talks about this. Like if my problem was that chair over there, I can only see it from this direction. But if I, if I talk to you about it and get your perspective on it, you see completely different parts of that chair over there that I don't really see. And if I'm, you know, inches away from the chair, I'm only going to see a very, very small part of it. And this is kind of how I look at like God's will in the same way too. Like I'm really close to these problems and my higher power is super far away and it sees the whole picture and everything that's around it rather than me being so close and so tight to this problem that all I can see is like a blurry mess and all I see is the problem um, and being the, able to step away from it. Is, this this kind of takes us right into because I, I wanted to talk with you today. Um, we've texted back and forth and messaged back and forth about some of these like spiritual explorations that you go on or have been on. And I found them very interesting. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to try them. Um, I know that you will take it from like the steam huts, uh, sweat lodges. Okay. Sweat lodges. But you also have been doing polar plunges. Yeah. Do Do you think that you've been doing these at a spiritual nature? Absolutely. Um, let's talk about that. Okay. Well, 
it all started after I was like, I wasn't a year clean, but I was in recovery for about a year. And um, I was trying to really get a better understanding on my um, spirituality. And I started going to church, which was great. And uh, like a Christian church, Elevate, which was awesome. Their pastor has an amazing message. I encourage anybody who is looking for spirituality and is interested in that kind of spirituality to definitely go there because their pastor is He's amazing. He's, he tells a great story. And uh, after a while, I started to realize that that wasn't really right for me. You know, the Judeo-Christian <coughs> um, belief wasn't exactly a perfect fit. I felt like there was more out there. And I think there's a lot of great things to learn from that. Like, don't get me wrong. I still kind of, I still f- believe in Jesus and think he has an amazing message to carry and share with people. And Christ consciousness is a real thing, which is all about love and community. And, you know, that's part of all of us, you know, part of every, I think everybody's like really connected in like this global consciousness kind of thing. And this like spirituality that kind of connects us to nature, to each other, to everything else. But anyway, I started going to, after that, I went to this Buddhist monastery with a couple people, including your sponsor, my sponsor at the time, and uh, one of our other friends in Cleveland, and that was really great. And I started to learn a little bit more about Buddhism, and uh, that was really great, but it wasn't really something that was available around me, something that I couldn't really embrace. Do you think, uh, real quick, uh, this question about what you're saying, do you think Buddhism is, I'm sure that some people take it to a religious degree but how much of it is just like good teachings you know in your mindset i think that it really is a uh debatable topic i think a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives on what is like was he just some guy with- is not religion but i think that the main thing that i take away from any religion whether you want to call it a religion whether you want to call it a philosophy when you call it whatever is the actual like substance of the message like the Buddha taught people about moderation, which is also a Greek philosophy too. Plato talks a lot about moderation. Pythagoras, who is actually not only a mathematician, but a philosopher, talks a lot about moderation. It was a very high, highly esteemed belief that everything was good in moderation. And the Buddha talks a lot about finding that balance and doing things in a positive way. And whether or not you want to take that to a dogmatic level is completely up to you and your personal beliefs or ideas about it well people that are you know extreme or heavy you know buddhists do they worship buddha through death or you know in into his death do they worship him as a god or do they just live strictly by his teachings i mean you know what i'm saying i can't i can't really say one way or another for other people i'm sure there's people that do look at him as like a deity i think it really just depends on what your definition of worship is because like i could say that like to me like worshiping would be to practice his principles and to read his read the dhammapada which is like the buddhist one of the buddhist texts like to me that's all a form of worship um meditating in a buddhist way and learning more about it and practicing you know not eating meat is all a way of you know is that part of buddhism a lot of it is like peace and not hurting other things you know what i mean and a lot of buddhists are vegetarian but it's not like a strict you know what I mean? Strict format. But to me, that's all like a part of worship. And whether or not I'm worshiping a person, does that make him a god? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I can't really say one way or the other. I'm not really. Yeah, I see your point. Able to like discern like, okay, this makes him a god. This, okay, this doesn't make him a god. And the same goes with me about like Jesus. 
Like, yeah, I've read the Bible. Yeah, I've gone to church. Yes, I've worshipped Jesus. But does that make him a god? Does that make him a teacher? Does that make him a deity? Does that make him the savior? Maybe, but I can't say one way or the other. And uh, just to get back to the story, eventually, um, I was still exploring. I was on this spiritual quest. Other people had known, and somebody invited me out to uh, this place called Thunder Springs, which is a mindful living community out in Centerville. Really amazing place with really beautiful spiritually minded, uh, amazing people that are super kind and very wise and just good people that I love and care about very deeply. And they were having a, a sweat lodge, which is a Native American ceremony. Um, a lot of people look at it as a Lakota ceremony. What's and Lakota? Lakota? Lakota is a language actually, um, but it's the Sioux Indians of uh, South and North Dakota. And... Uh, what that is... Lakota. Lakota. Okay. It's a language. Um, Tankashala, great spirit, great mystery, um, which is basically that connection that I was kind of talking about with everybody that I think we all share. You know what I mean? And I like the way that they call it great mystery because it leaves me open to allow it to be whatever it is. When I, like, Just like with all of these things that we've talked about, once I define them, as as what they are to me is what that is what they become to me and if i allow things to be undefinable and unknown and just be what they are i don't have to limit them at all i think that with 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 the na lingo you know more to more to be revealed exactly in kind of like that same sense right but and the great mystery i like that too great mystery great spirit tankashala um is that what that word means tankashala tankashala great, great spirit Okay. And uh, that's also like a very Taoist principle too, is just allowing things to be unknown and not having to define. Um, and a Zen Buddhist thing is what not is Taoist. Taoist is this um, might be a dumb question. It's okay. It's similar to Buddhism. Um, it's about the like yin and yang and positive okay. and darkness and everything with good comes light. And a lot of their idea like ideas and philosophies are just about allowing like that kind of judgment free allowing things to be what they are rather than trying to define them okay. and a lot of it gets mixed into buddhism and zen buddhism and stuff like that it's just allowing things to be and walking on a good way you know walking in a good way and not having to define things and just allowing them to be um which is all like really great stuff you know it allows things to just not have that positive or negative thing they just are you know and then once they just are i can accept them i don't have to personalize it or antagonize it or you know make it something better or more than it is it just is what it is and uh anyway these sweat lodges are really great um they start out with a fire which attract like you start a fire and you put a bunch of grandfathers in it grandfathers are stones and the stones go into the fire and they're called grandfathers because they were here way before humanity yeah. or any sort of life on earth was ever here. So they've been around for a long time. They've seen a long, lot of things and they have the energy and the spirit and all of those, you know, Tunkashla, the great mysteries all with them. Um, like it is with everything else. And they go in this fire, which attracts all of our prayers. You know, you stay around this sacred space. You think positive thoughts, you pray, you offer tobacco to the fire, which is kind of like a vessel for it it's something that like absorbs prayers and then you smoke it or you put it in the fire or you do whatever and it re gets released up to the great spirit you know it gets turned into smoke it gets turned and goes out and is heard and uh you get the grandfathers 
red hot, real excited. I really like this too because it's like a big transference of energy. You know, it's all alchemy. You know, turning one thing into another, transferring our prayers and the energy from this fire into these stones. It's a lot of symbolism. A lot of symbolism, and but I think I think not to throw you off. I want you to keep going, but some would say they're just rocks, Tony. Right, but a lot I of get, people would say that. Um, but I guess that if you know these things create imagery and symbolism um, within the mind. Even I mean, not to say. I'm, I, it's very interesting, and I'd love to be there to see it. And I, I we've talked about me going with you, and I want to do it. And it's not, um, I guess it is whatever it means to you. Exactly. And if, if this symbolism and imagery helps you um, obtain some sort of, like, spiritual enlightenment, then it's all awesome. Right. And, keep going. And it's cool because, like, you actually see this transference of energy. You know what I mean? We're creating. It makes a visual. We're cre- there's a visual, and we're creating actual energy. You know, we're creating this heat. We're creating this fire. This chemical. And this is inside of like change. a little hut. No, the the fire is outside of the hut, and then or it's called an inipi, which um, inipi inipi yeah i n i p i inipi, and it symbolizes the womb and Mother Earth, and uh, so these ancient Indian ceremonies yes okay keep going and very interesting the the fire actually (laughs) symbolizes the sun you know what i mean because we're getting these grandfathers and like in a way all the heat and all the energy and all the light comes from like the whole reason our planet is able to sustain life is because we're at the right distance from the sun and the sun is providing us with this massive amount of energy and just like in the anipi we're heating up these grandfathers which we're eventually going to bring into or just like the fire, we're heating up these grandfathers, just like the sun would, and we're bringing it into the Anipi. And we're taking that energy from the fire. It's been absorbing all these prayers, all this mindfulness, all this thought, and we're taking it into the Anipi where it's, you know, part of the earth. You know, we're coming into the earth. We're crawling down into the earth or the mother. And we, they're red hot, and the Anipi is ideally like pitch black you know what i mean there's no light that's getting through all you have is the glow of the stones and which causes a lot of different effects on your eyes you know you'll see different visions and different shapes and different after effects from the light from the stones or the light from outside to crawling into this dark area um and sometimes you can discern different things from that you know you might see oh well that well just like if you were looking at clouds you know oh that one looks like an eagle that looks like a spider that looks like you know whatever and what is that message really trying to say to me? It's looking for that deeper ideal that, you know, if I saw a spider, is that trying to tell me that I need to practice patience? And to me, like, nothing really happens by accident anymore. You know what I mean? I used to think like, oh, that's just a coincidence. But then eventually I started to see that as part of like great spirit, higher power, you know, putting things in the right way, in the right place at the right time. Because usually like to look at like the actual odds of any of this like even just us sitting here today, you know, we both had to be at the right place at the right time and all of these different things, all these different factors throughout our lives to actually put us in the right place at the right time is so infinitesimally small that how could I say that there is not some sort of thing putting me in these in this right place or allowing these things to happen or finding us here out of fate or destiny or whatever it is. So, you know, am I not seeing these different after effects or these different visions or images because I'm supposed to see them? Are they meant to be there? Or is this a fluke? Like, just like everything else, it has the power that I give it. And a lot of times it's, it's a, it's a good message that I need to hear. Dude, the Native American thing is, is so interesting to me because, you know, these people, 
you know, they basically didn't evolve for for so long. It's and, not like, and it, it, well, not. I didn't mean that in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, we didn't come over here, and there was it didn't look like England, right? You know, it was beautiful, untouched, and uh, everything was connected to nature. And it's, you know, this isn't some foreign thing. This is something that happened right here, right. maybe where this house stood. Um, and and these such like a beautiful people, and then just to be wiped out, and then throw billboards and skyscrapers up, and it's it's just very. It's it's sad for Tragic, sure dude. in a way, and, it, and and it's been hard for me. The more I learn about this kind of stuff, and I think it, and that's what's interesting about what you're saying. It's like a lot of this stuff's untalked about, and I know there's a lot of, is to be documented, and there's museums, and I learned about some of it in school, but I just don't think people enough think about the roots of this land that we're on right here, and and, and where what it looked like before what we did to it. And, um, you know, I think if you brought a, a, a Native American back from, like, the 1200s and said this is what this land's going to look like in a few thousand years, I think it would be devastating. Right. You know? And and, and, uh, and with what... What's this place called again where you go? Thunder Springs. That's one of the places I also go out to reservation out in New York sometimes. But just to, even to pay, like, some homage to what used to be here before us it's like a beautiful thing and it's, it's so interesting and i'm i'm sure like so and so spiritually uplifting to see that right know. and to me you like know, you know what you burn some more of that yeah i love the smell yeah i'm burning some sage by the way white sage we're getting spiritual today. um but anyway like to me the the power in different places um comes from the land you know what i mean and i want to worship the things that are here in this land that have been here for a long time you know what i mean if i was in india then i would feel like you know buddhism and hinduism would be much stronger there because that's where they originated from that's where they came from they came from there for a reason um from fate or destiny or higher power looking out for us or whatever it is um it comes there for a reason and it's developed in this land for so long that it's gained strength and gained power and momentum, which is why I like these native American ways and these Lakota ways, uh, because it's, it's the ways of the land, you know, so and this kind of part of it. Yeah. All this stuff kind of insinuates to me that, that, um, everything. And I think there's some scientific proof to this, that all things store memory you oh, know, yeah. and communicate. Um, even if we don't understand it or see it or know how it works or how simple or how complex it is, but, but trees communicate with each other. Um, all, you know, the whole, everything from the birds to the bees, to the trees, to the tortoise, whatever, all these things are kind of, um, what do I want to say? Like, uh, they're all connected and that's kind of symbiotic. Symbiotic. Yeah. Is that the, is that the word? That's one way of saying it. Yeah. Um, but it's, and it's, um, and they don't work without each other. You know, there's no such thing as a closed system. And I guess all this stuff just has, to a lot of people, would have no relevance in today's world. And maybe that's the problem. You know, maybe that's why the lack of community, the lack of caring for, you know, bodies of water and caring for the environment and, you know, climate change and all this stuff. Maybe if everybody would just pay a little bit more attention of like what what we're doing and with the effect that it's having on the mind and the, and the environment around us. Um, maybe we'd be better off and it's very interesting i'm you know everything you're saying i'm kind of uh i'm kind of thinking of it 
you know, because I think a lot of this stuff, you start talking in some hippie, some hippie shit. It's irrelevant. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it is insinuating a lot that, you know, these grandfather stones are, you know, you're putting value to them of having some sort of memory of the past and, and trying to like hone in on that feeling or that, that right. spiritual note or whatever. And it's, um, it's very interesting. And, and by bringing them into the Anipi, you know, we're kind of, we're taking that energy that we built that's symbolized as the sun that comes in the fire. So that's the and name of the lodge, the Anipi? It's an Anipi. Okay. Um, and we're bringing the grandfathers in after they've gotten real excited. You know what I mean? They're red hot. They're glowing. They're showing us their excitement. Um, so there's no open flame in there. There's no open flame in this in the actual lodge, and from there we are taking their energy and bringing it into ourselves. You know, there's a medicine man or a person. Usually, they're pour, we call them the person who's pouring because they are pouring uh, water onto the stones, which gets immediate. Well, it gets turned into steam. Yeah, and then we're taking that energy from the steam and you know, taking it into our body, through our lungs, through our skin, through all of this. So we're getting this energy from the fire into the stones, into our bodies, into our lungs, all of this excitement, all of this, you know, positive, good stuff that we've been feeding into these stones is now coming to us, you know, and we're bringing it in and taking it in. Are you fully clothed? Yeah, not really. You wear like shorts. Women wear skirts and a t-shirt. So you're, you're clothed, but not What if fully a dude clothed? wanted to wear a shirt? Uh, you would have to talk to the person who's pouring, you know, and it depends on how strict it is. Um, you're not supposed to wear any jewelry or anything metal. Um, you're supposed to be humble, you know what I mean? Um, we're crawling in there on our hands and knees being humble, and um, it would just depend on who's wow. pouring. Everybody has different rules. You know, there's probably some strict people out there that would be like, no, you, you, can't, wear, you can't wear that shirt in there, blah, blah, blah. You have to do this, and the women have to sit on one side, and the men have to sit on the other. And it How really big just, is this lodge? Uh, probably the size of this dining room, except round. What's it look like? Uh, it's like a What's little, it's like an igloo almost, except it's covered in tarps. You make it out of like saplings traditionally. Um, and it's like, it look, it would look like an igloo, like what you would imagine an igloo would look like. So they rebuild these things all the time? Pretty regularly. Yeah. I've built a few. So there's not know, one that's been there for like hundreds of years. Yeah. No, not to, no. Um, cause or even woods, like 10 years. Yeah. That's that would be an old lodge if it was there ten years, um, and you have to you know restructure it because there's steam, there's other things that's sitting out there in the elements. It's going to have certain effects on it, and it's not going to be structurally sound for very, for a super long time. So do you polar plunge before you get in there? No, no, that's an entirely different thing. Okay, I um, thought maybe you were like it was right on the river and you go out to this river and it's like you could thirty degrees and you get how long do you stay in the water for when you polar plunge? Uh, usually about two minutes. Yeah, and what temperature? Uh, above thirty-two, below usually like right around between. 32 you don't want to like die from pneumonia. And like forty degrees is ideal, um, but it depends. And the whole thing is, is that you, it's like uh, the guy who really like started to make this like a popular thing or whatever is named Wim Hof, and he's a crazy um, European dude. I don't know exactly what country he's from. I think he's German or from the Netherlands or something like that. But he 
developed this breathing technique that you do before and during, which creates this body heat. And the whole goal is to, the same way with the lodge in a lot of different ways is to overcome this uncomfortability. Like these lodges get really hot and that water that you're jumping in when you're polar plunging is really, really cold. And by being able to overcome this extreme setting or environment, you know, we're learning how to allow our bodies you know, everything has a physiological reaction, okay? So if I'm feeling anxious, my heart's going to beat faster. I might sweat. My face might turn red. And these different experiences also cause a physiological reaction. But I need to learn how to remain calm and remain focused and not let this physical reaction turn into a mental reaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's going into a panic attack or catastrophizing things or any of those types of situations. So it's allowing me the ability to practice being in an uncomfortable place and to allow and to still have control over my mind and my emotions and teaching my body how to overcome these difficult situations. Like our body isn't really meant to go into 32 degree water or 35 degree water or however hot a sweat lodge gets. But we go in there and we do survive. We overcome it. We conquer it. Mind over matter. You know what I mean? We learn how to make our body warm in these really cold situations and sit in this really uncomfortable place and meditate and practice breathing techniques when really our mind is yelling at us, get the fuck out of this water or get the fuck out of this lodge. How long this do you is, stay in the steam lodge? Uh, the lodges usually last a, a couple hours. How how hard is it to just stay in there the whole time? There's some, a lot of times people want to leave, but it's encouraged that you stay. You know what I mean? Cause you ever get like nauseous. I've never gotten nauseous. I've been really, there have been some that are really freaking hot dude. And you gotta get in those situations. What you do is you get low. And I've literally been, I've been in lodges that have been so hot for me that I am like in uh babe, like uh child's pose like the yoga pose down as low as i can with my face in the mud with my fingernails digging into the mud trying to find purchase on like cool air because obviously the hot air rises the ground yeah. is going to be cooler and the, but the ground eventually gets hot so i'm just in there like digging with my little fingernails claws <laughs> trying to find a cool spot to be able to find some relief but really like our bodies are okay. Nobody's going to die. Like, you're not going to die. You're going to be all right. The The person who's pouring the lodge has more than likely done this quite a few times and knows what they're doing and knows how to bring it to that level. And there's sometimes, I don't know, where it's it's just really, it's it's a lot. You know what I mean? You feel I wanna it. Do it hits you intensely. You know, there's certain times where they're just, you know, there's certain rounds and in this lodge or certain doors that get open and certain rounds personify certain things. And there's certain times where we have to go through some extreme discomfort. You know what I mean? We really have to sacrifice and deal with this uncomfortability and kind of like a giant metaphor for life. It is. It really is. And it, it's, it's going through those things and coming out the other side stronger. You know what I mean? If I can deal with, you know, these extreme situations where I'm humbly crawling in digging in the mud trying to find cool breath or like any sort of relief then everything else doesn't really seem quite so bad and there's a lot of t people 
well, I shouldn't say a lot of people. I, I don't really know where it comes from, but I like the idea of, you know, the times that we're closest to spirit are the times where we are born and the times before we die. And because then we're like right on, on the door to going into spirit world. You know what I mean? To me, that's what I, I believe and what I think. And in some of these situations where I put myself so like where all I, where this lodge is so freaking hot that all I can think about is breathing and staying alive. Everything else disappears. You know what I mean? At least for a little bit, everything disappears. And when all I can think about is being able to survive, that's when I get my freedom and my relief from all of the past trauma and all of the shame and the guilt and the burdens. And that's when the healing occurs. You know, I can finally like completely like a sense of being reborn, let go, you know, of everything, everything disappears in the same way with when you're in the polar plunge, you know, everything just gets shut off for a little bit. And there's a couple philosopher. Well, Kant talks about how, we have all of these social constructs and all of these different buildings, like the walls I was talking about earlier, you know, we have to behave in a certain way. You know, we're here at my house, me and you both have to have all these socially constructed rules and all of these stipulations and things for how we should act around each other. And by being in these situations where all of these stuff, all of these rules, all of these social stipulations and contracts that we have, these unsaid um, agreements between us of how we're going to conduct ourselves disappear. We're finally able to just be a human, you know, just be, just be instead of trying to, you know, worry about how I should act or how I should behave in this situation. And if I make enough money or if I have this certain level of prestige and for me, finding that relief from there is really great. And like, yeah, you can achieve that through, lots of different ways. I don't have to be in a near-death experience by jumping into 32-degree water and sitting in there for two minutes or being in these lodges where it's so hot. Um, I can achieve that through meditation, but this is a way... It's not e not to say that it's easy sitting in a lodge or doing polar plunges or anything like that, but it's a way that's going to kick down that fucking door for me. You know what I mean? I block all of this other stuff. I put these walls up that we that I've been talking about but doing these things kind of blasts through that fucking door for me. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no me trying to hold it up or anything. It's just fucking gone. And I've been in lodges where I've cried my goddamn eyes out. You know what I mean? Like recently I was there, I was in a lodge and um the medicine person's like let it go. Just anything that you're holding on to right now, just let it go. And I just you know, cried openly with a bunch of other people in this lodge where it's, you know, and it's so relieving. It makes me want to cry. Like I'm starting to tear up right now, just thinking about being able to let go of things in such a profound, such dramatic, such a symbolic, amazing way, you know, and just get rid of all of these things and unload all those burdens, even if it's just for a short period of time. It's well come out. It seems like you'd come out almost feeling reborn. It, and that's the whole thing, you know, that the NEP is the womb of the mother and we are crawling inside of it in a humble position and we come out hot and wet and reborn, you know, we're coming out of the earth, you know, everything stems from the earth. Without the earth, we wouldn't have any of the things around us, you know, we wouldn't have the trees, we wouldn't have this house or your lap, your computer or these microphones or anything. It all was gifted to us by, you know, the earth. 
mean, that is crazy to think about every single anything that exists above ground basically came from the ground anything even like you know granted there's chemical processes behind all this stuff but it's all from just natural resources that we've that people have like gradually processed and and one of the native or the lakota things that we do or believe is that like i can't offer spirit anything you know what i mean it already has everything it's already given me everything all I can offer it is myself, and that means spending this time in a good way and following my principles and going to lodges and going to these other ways to honor myself and honor that connection and honor the earth and honor all of these gifts that I have, all these amazing blessings that are in my life. And, um, you know, to get close to that, I, I go to lodges, I meditate, I, I do these polar plunges. There's a lot of other ceremonies that are out there too. You know, there's sun dances, there's humblecha, which I'm planning on doing for the first time this year. I've I'd love just the experience. And it's all about just taking away all, like Sundance and humblecha, both in a big way are about getting rid of all of the shit. You know what I mean? You don't have yourself, you go out and you're participating in this ceremony and you don't have your cell phone, you don't have your laptop, you don't have your house or your problems or your work or anything. You're separated from all of these different things and all that's left is you and spirit, dude. That's all that's there. Um, And there's a lot of other people that are different philosophies or religions or whatever you call it. You know, Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days. Moses went on a mountain for 40 years. The Buddhist, the Buddha practiced extreme asceticism, which is, you know, surviving on like a single grain of rice or surviving with like nothing at all and just giving away all of these material possessions and this detachment, which is also like a big part of the Buddha's story, you know, is, is before he came, became the Buddha and devoted his life to achieving enlightenment, he was a prince and he gave away all of these material possessions because they were never really his to begin with. And that's the same way with like a lot of things like the more we get attached to things and the more important we become, they become to us, the more they take away from what we actually are, if that makes sense. And don't get me wrong, like there are a lot of things that I'm really attached to and a lot of people that I'm really attached to. And I'm not saying that having those attachments is a bad thing, but being able to detach from those things for periods of time is very awakening or enlightening you know because like i said all those worries all those burdens with every attachment comes a burden like if i was like i'm attached to my car i like my car it's nice it drives me around i I rely on it um and by getting rid of it temporarily i'm free of that burden of having to have a car and have to drive it and maintain it and all of those other things which is you know to me, like a big part of what being free really is, is not having those kinds of burdens and not having those kinds of things that are relying on me. And sometimes I want those things to rely on me. Like I have a lot of really close friends and I have like a lot of really good relationships where I want those people to rely on me. I want to be important to them because it makes me feel better. It inflates my ego. It makes me feel important. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel loved and respected and cherished and all these other things which is all completely ego-driven, you know what I mean? All those things do is build up my sense of self and build up my self-righteousness and my self-importance. And by 
allowing myself some a healthy level of attachment from those things and from myself you know there's this it, it allows me to to be free and to not have those burdens and to not have those worries and to not have those obligations and selflessness is a big buddhist ideal as well which is all about you know doing things for others and not expecting things in return because when i expect something in return that's my ego talking it's telling me like oh you did this for somebody you need they they're going to do this back for you you know what i mean and being able to remove myself from those burdens and that type of attachment and that type of expectation i'm able to just be happy and not have these unmet you know expectations and these premeditated reservations mm-hmm. and it, you know, and that's what it's, that's what like being enlightened really is about to me. And like, it's something that I will probably never achieve, like permanent. Like, I don't think there's any way in my life that I'll achieve like a pertinent stage of enlightenment, but there are times where I am free and do have that, you know, state of nirvana where everything else is gone and I can just be okay. I, um, I, yeah, I associate that for me with like music. And I think, music has been a big factor in like why I want to stay clean because I have this, this beautiful thing to me, at least it's beautiful that, um, when I'm doing it and I reach this like flow state to where all my worries go away and that doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's this thing that I've found that I I haven't really found it anywhere else. And I might've looked for it in drugs. I might've looked for it in people, but it's this natural, feeling with me in this instrument it's like an acoustic instrument i can do it anywhere and um but lately you know and i used to reach this state all the time where i could write a song in like three four minutes you know what comes out is what stays and i've done that so many times and uh anymore you know all these expectations i put on myself um you know when i'm songwriting and in the back of my head i've got these voices that say like you know this isn't as good as it used to be. Yeah, go for it. This isn't as good as it used to be. Um, you know, you it's got to be better. It's got to be better if you want to financially, if you want to financially grow from this and 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 live on this. It's got to be better. Like those things are squashing. <laughs> grabbing some waters. Yeah. Um, those feelings, are, or those thought, those thoughts and that doubt are like really, you know muddying up that natural state that like all the gold all the good stuff comes from you know where i'm think overthinking it and uh that happens a lot in life and i don't know if it's anxiety or stress um or like it's coming from just how we are anymore as people or getting older or what um having a kid definitely adds anxiety and a lot of thoughts of you know is he getting what he needs is is uh, am I there enough? I'm really trying to, you know, especially being clean now, like getting him more days a week, all this stuff uh, that is just good things to think about. But at the same time, you know, if you're overthinking every single situation and you're creating problems for yourself, it's harder to understand or realize states of enlightenment or, you know, further from feeling them. And I, I think what you're doing is interesting. And, I'd love to join you because I, I have, like I was saying, I felt that with music before and I, and I feel like some days I'm farther and farther away from that with all this doubt and um, ego and expectations and what people will think and the stuff that really with 
with what I do and how it's art, um, that all stuff is irrelevant. And the best, the best stuff that I've ever made comes from like, I don't care who's listening. I don't give a fuck what this means to you. Um, I have no expectations and I'm just loving what I'm doing right now. And then the best stuff comes out when I'm sitting around like pretentiously trying to like outdo myself or be something that's going to sell or, or do this. Cause these are things I think about, um, you know, I'm in that weird position and not to completely change topics, but it's been, this all kind of brings back a lot of feelings I have with music in that flow state in that, um, because I have felt that spiritual connection with people on stage or just in my room alone or on a recording, um, where nothing matters. Um, and there's like this beautiful presence and I'm getting out like all these things I need to get out. Um, but it's been harder and harder because, all these expectations and, and, and these like voices that are saying all these things and, um, that are irrelevant. And like what you were saying, all that stuff kind of slips away with that moment and that process that you're putting yourself in. And I find it very interesting. I would love to do it next time you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think it would help with the writing, you know, going from experience like that to like working on some songs the next day in like a peaceful environment where I'm right. just alone and, uh, taking that feeling you know, to a recording or something uh, Absolutely. With, with no expectations would be amazing. And and a song is a big part of every sort of spirituality. You know what I mean? It's how we tap into our higher power. And I think that like that tapping into that higher level of consciousness or that higher dimension or whatever you want to call it in those flow states is something that's like really amazing and really beautiful and really happens a lot. And I think that like the best things that I say, like whether it's with clients, whether it's with other people, the most powerful and the most beautiful experience are always spirit driven. You know what I mean? It's from that connection. It's from my higher power. You know, I kind of stop talking and kind of just allow myself. I mean, you hear it in the rooms all the time. It's like, Oh, my, my higher power speaks through other people. And I have a, an elder, um, uncle Tony, Everybody who is a elder or is usually called like uncle in that, in that area. But my uncle Tony always talks about being a hollow bone. And what do, what do you mean an elder? Uh, he, I mean that he's been around. He's been doing this for a long time. He pours lodges. He okay, okay. leads this kind of stuff. And uh, his name's also Tony. Yeah, <laughs> his name's also Tony. He's what? he he is much he's much taller than I am and. His, his spirit name is Falling Tree, but he always talks about being a hollow bone, which means to just allow things to flow through you, you know, allow spirit to flow through you, allow whatever it is to flow through you. And it's also like a Taoist idea, too. They talk about being the empty vessel and being the empty cup wow. and allowing yourself to be poured from, you know what I mean? And not trying to collect, but give away and to allow spirit to work through you and move through you. And... Uh, like I was saying with the, with the songs, you know, there's a lot of singing involved in these uh, in these lodges. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's really hard to sing, and that's where the warrior spirit comes out. You know what I mean? It's a thousand degrees in there, or at least it feels like it's a thousand degrees in this lodge, and you're fucking singing your heart out as loud as you can. Scre like sometimes I'm just like belting out these fucking songs, and I just feel like everything disappears, and all I can think about is the songs and the words and what they mean to me, and sharing this, and like it all comes back to like that 
alchemy, you know what I mean? That transition of energy types, you know, not only now am I thinking these thoughts in my mind, but I'm actually saying these prayers out loud. I'm vibrating the air. I'm shaking things around and getting this energy all moving around and all these people. And it's the same thing. Like when you're up on a crowd and you got the loud fucking music going and shit, you know, all that vibration, all that energy is a real fucking thing. And if you allow it to be, it can be a palpable thing. You know, it's something I can feel in my skin and in my body and, it's just amazing, you know, it's it, all of us coming together, singing as one, somebody's playing a drum, you know, poof, poof, poof. and a lot of these ceremonies, we play these big powwow drums, these big drums like the size of this table, and there's like eight of us singing around it, and all of our brothers and sisters are out there, f- like, praying, you know what I mean, in this difficult situation with no food, no water, no f- creature comforts at all for four days, and we're fucking singing our hearts out to him around it makes me want to cry dude um we're singing so like i'm singing my fucking heart out and it's great because i know a bunch of i've learned a bunch of songs over the years and i can fucking pray for my people that are out there like well i can see the suffering i can see the attraction man because that sort of core feeling that like represents who i am and how i you know, respond with others and how I identify with myself and others. I've always looked for that sense of comfort in drugs, you know? Exactly. And uh, they say that like addicts are, you know, underneath like a sensitive people and they're so sensitive that like they can barely handle the human condition to the point where they got to self-medicate. And this kind of stuff seems like such a spiritual and natural way to achieve that type of feeling without chemical. And I think music like we were just talking about music, it, it does that for me. Um, and I'd love to check that out. Like, I, I, making me want to cry. <laughs> right. It's, it's amazing and powerful, dude. I'm not going to cry. We got like eight people like playing the, this drum, you know. It's like such a deep thing, dude. Hitting it hard, you know what I mean? Putting your heart and soul and just trying to scream out these lyrics as loud as you can to all these people that are out there, you know suffering and trying to pray in a good way away from all these things and it's just there's i you know i want to sing for them i want to give them my courage and my warrior spirit and all of these other things through these songs that i'm relaying out to them and wanting them to hear and it's just really it's just really fucking beautiful man it's really good stuff and i've never really felt that kind i mean i felt that kind of connection before but it took getting involved in these ways to really feel that because like what like i said when i was going to elevate like there were certain songs that the band would play and it would just send shivers up my spine. And there were certain times where I felt connected with everybody else and I'm singing in this congregation and there's people up there playing beautiful, like this awesome music and just throwing it up to the higher power and saying thank you and saying we love you and we care about you and we're all in this together. And it's just something that's really, you know, beautiful and amazing. And it's a way that we connect with music is a great way that we connect with spirit and connect with one another. And it's one of the few, it's one of the really interesting ways to raise consciousness, in my opinion. You know, there's a lot of different, like, higher levels of consciousness that I think we can achieve. And through music and losing that sense and connecting with each other and tapping into this, you know, one body, one heart, one mind, one voice, one everything, you know what I mean? We're building that connection and we're grabbing onto it and we're touching it. And it's something that I can actually see and feel and hear and all of these other good things and it's just, it's just a really great way to get in touch with that higher power you know what I mean and reach out and feel so that love Tony yes oh, sink swim or fly so sink swim or fly I want to thank you for being on the show today 
Hey, it was my pleasure to be here. I'm happy to do it. I'd love to do another one at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stay safe, everybody. Much love. See you later. Peace. Oh, I want you now. Oh, I really do. When you wait up for nothing's coming, and we make up. And nothing's really thinking I'm just Long ago my picture show It meant the world to me